because I feel that people are much more willing to go to a movie they think is going to be mediocre than they are willing to go to a movie that they think is going to be good. It's wrong to believe that people want to go to good movies. They're very suspicious of good movies. They're very willing to go to midstream movies. In other words, they want a little less. Allow me to introduce myself. Who knows what dastardly crime might perpetrate next? He's a very clever arch criminal who must be put away. Another innocent victim. that Reed and I, who's joining me here, have been trying to get up and going for like, what, six months now? <laughs> something like that? Something like that. Um, well, I do want to mention something before we go on. We're doing the first ever episode on Frank Ocean's birthday. I just want to, throw that, I just <laughs> want to throw that out there, that this is a special day because it's Frank Ocean's birthday, and we're doing the first episode of Movie. So. This is even more of a special day for Reed than it is for Frank Ocean. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, basically, um, so just a little introduction, I guess. Uh, Reed and I have been friends for a while now, and we, of course, met on Envy Zone, where we're hosting this. And uh, I guess we, we kind of bonded over our mutual love of wrestling editing, as most people do there. Um, but the one thing I noticed in one of our videos is Reed had a really good taste in movies very early on, and that made me like him, because it's not very many people like that at the, at the website. You can count on one hand. Um, so I immediately took a liking to him. Anyway, um, we both obviously run this site together now for the last, what, two, three years? Two years, something like that. <clears throat> and uh, so we talk almost every day, or just just about. But now I've noticed, like, in the last few months that rarely do we talk about the site, just when we need to. What we talk about now mostly is movies. Like, you got to watch this. you got to see this. Have you seen this? What about this? And um, I think... We 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 both obviously are big fans, but I think Letterboxd has a, a big thing to do with that. Oh yeah. And now, if you're listening and you've never heard of Letterboxd um, or heard any of our previous podcasts where I kind of always talk about Letterboxd, it's a an app that you put on your phone, and it just basically allows you. It's like social media just for movies, and you can keep track of what movies you've watched, which is my favorite feature of it. Um, you can write reviews, which I also I've been doing more of and so as read mm -hmm. you can create lists which is something that as you'll see later in this podcast i love doing um and you can befriend one another so like anytime reed watches a movie i can see what he watched and what he th thought of it and uh usually my opinion differs so we can argue about it <laughs> and that's always fun <laughs> that is very very true <laughs> um so yeah uh mutual love of letterbox and we both become like very quickly obsessed with it and uh, it's probably one of the apps I use most on my yeah. phone. Well, because um, I, I used to use IMDb for all my because I you know I always rated and you know made lists and stuff. And then I always use IMDb because that's kind of like the kind of go to thing for everything. 
And then you mentioned this app called Letterbox. I'm like, yeah, well, I, I, I've heard and I heard of it before, but I didn't want to switch because you know I had IMDb. And then you convinced me. And then I think literally the first two days, I just spent hours on end just rating movies of what I thought of them. And like, did I see this movie? Yeah, I've seen it. What I think of it, I don't know. It's been years, but I'm gonna rate it anyways. Yeah, um, and that was exclusively so I had someone to <laughs> converse with and everything on the on the site because you can follow movie critics. There's some really good critics on there, and follow uh, David Ehrlich and uh, Josh and Adam from the Film Spotting podcast. And there's some really funny people on uh, the site as well, especially when you jump into the list section. Oh my god! Um, but uh, yeah, now I think it's brought Reed and I closer. Mutual love of movies. I noticed. Personally, I've watched a lot more movies this year than I ever have, at least off the top of my head, because now I'm logging and I can look through and see, like, oh, man, in August I watched at least one movie every day. So yeah. uh, I think it's I think it's pretty neat. And you can always go back and revisit and re-rate and all that stuff. Anyway, all that to say is um, a lot of this podcast will be centered around the letterbox. So if we bring that up, that's what that is. We'll always um, – I think we'll probably reference our ratings pretty frequently because we were pretty active in rating movies, and it's on a five-star system. The one thing I noticed, our ratings differ quite a bit. I, th- I think Reed's a little stricter on movies where I'm uh, I'm not quite as, but I am. I think I'm more strict to give out five stars than Reed is. Yeah. So um, so did you want to like run through real quick what your what your five stars mean? Like uh, oh. what 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 it takes to get five stars or what well, each rating means. I mean, you just got to move me to a certain point of which, I mean, you just got to pretty much be, a ma- I guess, a masterpiece in every level um, as far as acting, as far as a technical level, um, you know, cinematography, editing, sound design, all that stuff. And, I mean, you just got to, like, really move me as far as a movie goes. I mean, um, it's very, I don't want to say it's rare that I've given a five star out, I don't try. I don't try to do it as much. Sometimes I I throw it out maybe a little too much. But normally, I mean, a five star movie to me is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, it's per- personally um, like I have a whole list of my favorite movies of all time, and it's all just five star movies because um, they are just my, personally my favorite movies of all time. So, um, so yeah, five star. I mean, it's it's pretty much just like a perfect movie in my opinion. Yeah, um, with mine, I, I I think most traditional people, when they think of like a five star rating, would go like what you what you'd say five stars is a perfect movie, and that's probably the most logical way of going about it. It's not the way I go about it. <laughs> uh, so, so I noticed Letterboxd will compile. It shows a graph on on your main page of like uh, all your star ratings, and it's a little like a little bar graph. You can see how many. Um, movies have gotten a certain rating or whatever. And I give out four stars a lot. Four stars is my highest rating I could possibly, not that I could possibly give, but that I usually give out for most movies. And four stars just means I really like this movie. Um, four and a half for me is like kind of pretty much a perfect movie for me to give five stars out. And I think setting right now at this time and place, I'll pull up the app real quick. I only have 34 five-star movies. Yeah, and I have, um, I have 64 or 67. So, so. And that's – I mean I, I obviously haven't rated everything. Uh, at this point, I've rated 1,040 different films. So um, so for five – something to hit five stars, it has to have a big impact on me. 
and I'm I'm not talking. I'm just whereas you you kind of very technically like you want solid direction, not solid like perfect direction, perfect acting, all that stuff. I don't pay attention to that stuff as much. Not that I I don't see it. It has to be pretty bad for me to actively notice it. I don't go into a movie like automatically with a critical eye, I guess. Whereas I, I I go into most movies just wanting to like it, and I think that's why I'm I think that's why it shows I'm a little more generous than you are, which can be a bad thing. There's some there's some movies on there that have no business being <laughs> as rated as highly as I have them rated, and I understand that. But oh um, for uh, for something at five stars, it has to be something that's like profoundly moves me or has an impact on my life. There are movies that I've rated five stars that I understand some people don't even like a little bit, but they've had an impact on my life or they've changed the way I've looked at something. Sure. And for me, that's five stars. Yeah. So that's the way I go about it. And that, and that varies into my, my thing too. Like for example, I have as a five star Memento. I don't think Memento is necessarily a perfect film. You could obviously like argue that it's not a five-star film because there are some issues with it. But for me, it pro- profoundly affected how I I viewed move like filmmaking at the time when I watched it because I was mm-hmm. what like it's probably like 15 when I saw it, 14, 15, and like it, it I was like wow, I didn't know you could really tell a story this way. And so from there on it, it it's profoundly affected my life and how I kind of viewed storytelling. So yeah, that's why I gave it, f- and also just because I think the movie's great. But of course, that's a big reason why I played into my five star rating. Yeah, of course. And uh, if you if you look, we on Letterboxd again, it has you list your. It only gives you four options. Which is one thing I would change. I wish they gave you more options, but I guess you can always cycle movies in and out. But yeah. it just you have you have four spots for favorite films that you can put, and I'll put the movie poster there. And uh, Garden State's obviously my number one. If anyone's listened to any podcast we've done, I've talked about it a lot, and I'm not going to talk about it a lot here, especially in our top five list coming later in the episode. But that movie had a profound effect on me because it was. I, I was looking at user reviews of it. And a lot of people don't even like that movie a little bit. So I'm like, <laughs> I've never seen I, I, it. So I absolutely adore this movie. And there's a lot of people that like really don't even like it a little bit. And um, I've been thinking about that a lot lately, and in, in correlation to what like what we how we rate things five stars. And I think it's just it's a matter of not only a movie having a profound impact, but it also has to hit you at the right time in life. And that's what yeah. Garden State was. It hit me at the exact right time. Now, if I, I haven't I haven't watched it in a few years. I plan on going back and revisiting it soon, and probably writing a review. I imagine I'll still love it as much, but it's all it's already tied up to those emotions I had at that point when I was a 19 year old kid watching it for the first time. Yeah. So I'll never not be able to think about that or let that go. Objectively, I can look at it as a critic and say, "Yeah, this is a five star movie," but for me, it's always going to be a five star movie. Um, sure. So all that to, all that to say. As we go along here, it's like when a kid's movie affects you at a certain age, except probably to a different level. Like Toy Story, for the longest time, was my favorite movie. But what about Paddington? Not Paddington. I do <laughs> like Paddington, Paddington though. Paddington is um, good. I watched a video essay on Paddington earlier today. Oh really? Yep. So Pat- Paddington one is just four stars. I wanted to go through that real briefly because what we're going to do is talk through a lot of movies here. And it's a real kind of free form. There's not going to be any spoilers. Uh, if there are, I will edit in a, uh, a just, warning. Just someone yelling, spoiler, just like right before we accidentally spoil the movie. Um, 
but in planning this show to to do the last few months, Reed and I have watched a lot of really great movies and really good movies, and we've talked about them. And I thought it would be interesting to revisit them because a lot of these movies are fresh and either have just come out, you know, like on home video, or are coming out. Yeah. Um, it's been a really good year for for movies, I think. Yeah, and uh, there's still so much I need to see. So, yeah. oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah. The first one that came to mind when I was like writing a, a quick little outline here was First Reformed. I remember uh, just maybe two months oh, ago, yeah. Reed, Reed messaging me and saying this might be my favorite movie of the year so far. I don't know if that still stands because there's been some really great movies that come out after that. But uh, what, what did you think of First Reformed? I wasn't aware that I had offended. Jesus didn't want our suffering. He suffered for us. Mm-hmm. He wants our commitment and our obedience. Mm-hmm. And what of his creation? The heavens declare the glory of God. God is present everywhere in every plant, every river, every tiny insect. The whole world is a manifestation of his holy presence. I think this is an issue where, where the church can lead, but, but they say nothing. The, the U.S. Congress still denies climate change? Where were we when these people were elected? It was fantastic. It was great. Um... Man, just like everything about the film was, in my opinion, a perfect flick. Uh, there were some... there. I, I need to watch this movie again. I, it's been on my rewatch list for a while, because I think I gave it a four and a half, and I was debating on giving it a five, because I just thought it was so perfect. From everything, from the visuals, from the story, the, the, the whole um, like social commentary on how our, how we work, and just everything the, the 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 it looks beautiful i remember uh the uh what was it what was the letterbox review for this movie that you sent me that was funny it was something about oh it was about a24 and how all oh, the checklist all oh, the checklist <laughs> on a24 movies and i and and it's so true but it, it's why i love a24 because there's just the, the this movie was great which is funny because this is from um I forget the director's name but uh you know he wrote taxi driver um and raging bull but he did a movie called Dog Eat Dog. And I hadn't seen the movie, but I saw this video uh, talking about bad Nicolas Cage movies. And it stars Nicolas Cage. And it was the, the movie that he did before this one. It was about two years ago. And uh, from what I saw, the movie looked terrible. <laughs> it, looked, it looked absolutely crap. And there was like, I don't know, it looked so confusing. The way it was shot and just the way it was done just looked so bad. So when I heard this movie was really great and it was by the same person, I was like, huh, that's interesting. You know, gave it a watch and it's great. Ethan Hawke is, uh, as always, fantastic. Um, his struggle in the movie is just perfect. The way I mean, like, and just like his questioning of his of what he believes is just fantastic. One thing that um, I actually kind of wish they didn't do, and it was actually a criticism. I can't take credit for this criticism, but um, if you notice, like, the first half of the movie has absolutely no music. There's like no music throughout the first half of the movie. Really, I didn't notice that. Yeah, there's like no music throughout the first half of the movie, and then the second half they decided to add some music. Um, the whole first half it. felt very unsettling, so I'm sure that played yeah. into. Yeah, that too. Um, and uh, but I I, I almost kind of wish like the whole movie didn't have music. But I get, I get why. If you've seen the movie, you understand why they needed to add music at a certain point. But yeah, no, the first like the first forty minutes, I, I noticed it too. There was no music whatsoever, and it was great. But I almost kind of wish that uh, it didn't have music because I didn't think the music was that great in the movie. It was just okay. But 
still fantastic. It, I think it's my second favorite of the year so far. Again, I still have so many movies to see. Um, yeah, it's daunting almost. It's daunting, but I'm I'm willing to do it because just because I love movies. But this was great. This so, is definitely one I recommend to everyone. So I agree. Uh, this is this is a flick that uh, Reed and I I think kind of agreed on. I think I settled at four and a half for it. Um, Paul Schrader is the guy you're thinking of. Yes, he. That's uh, yeah, he he wrote Taxi Driver, he wrote Raging Bull, he wrote uh, Last Temptation of Christ. So I mean, he he's kind of like a a legend. His uh, I'm looking at his director directorial filmography here, and it's not quite as yeah. uh, as stacked. He did do a uh, uh, Mishima Mishima A Life in Four Chapters, which is um, a movie I've been meaning to check out. It came out in '85. It's a um, a Criterion release, and mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of great things about it. Um, I have not heard of it. Yep. So. Uh, yeah, I I agree with all your sentiments here. The first half of the movie, like I said, felt very just unsettling. It's about a uh, a priest, and uh, he's kind of having a crisis of faith when he meets this uh, this couple, and they are um, how would you describe them? Kind of like um, ecological uh, protesters, maybe. Well, the husband for sure. Yeah, and, then, yeah. and um, yeah, and that's not to spoil anything because it, it kind of. That's the first it, ten minutes. Yeah, they're... it goes, it goes off the rails quite a bit, um, mm-hmm. and it's very much an A twenty four film um, in that it's like a, a slow, steady tension, and then it just it it gets kind of wacky at the end. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which is Reed's favorite type of movie. Of course, hell yeah, it is. Um, also, Ethan Hawke is uh, amazing in this. As always, he's fantastic. And that's coming from someone who absolutely adores the Before Trilogy as one of like mm. the greatest pieces of cinema in the world um, of all time. I think fantastic. this, yeah, I think this is his best performance I've ever seen. Oh, really? I do. Yeah, it's up there. Yep, and uh, it's been a heck of a year for him actually because he had that uh, that biopic that came out. What was that called? Blaze, I think. And then um, I just caught him in a, like a romantic comedy the other day that came out this year. <laughs> so he's he's been busy. He's been a busy man. Uh, so I've been harping at Reed for the last few months to watch the Paddington movies. Yeah, I watched now, them. Now this is solely because of Letterboxd. Paddington 2 has gotten such good reviews. I had these written off as just kids' films, which there's nothing wrong with kids' films. Most of them I have no interest in just because they kind of, in my opinion, they appeal to like the lowest common denominator of they're let's not try trying. To, yeah, they're not trying. Let's try to be like hyperactive for your – keep your the attention of your ADHD kid. Well, and and like most of the decisions they make for the film is like, oh, they're kids. They won't notice. Exactly. Um, but this – Paddington 2 in, in particular got so many good reviews on Letterboxd. And so many people calling for Hugh Grant to get an Oscar nomination that I I just couldn't not check it out. So obviously I wasn't going to watch the second one without seeing the first. Uh, so I watched the first and immediately was on read to get to, to watch it. Um, like I said earlier, four-star flick for me. One of the best kids' movies, in my opinion, um, probably since Toy Story 3. Uh, I, I'd, I'd rank it up there with the Toy Story movies. There's not much competition <laughs> outside of Toy Story 3 besides 
I'm trying to think. I don't. I don't even remember what kids' movies came out that were great. Lego Movie, maybe. Lego Movie. Okay, no, Lego Movie's better than all those. Lego Movie is a masterpiece. <laughs> one of the best. One of the best kids' movies. Period. Or animated movies, I should say. I would agree yeah. with that, but I, I'm not. I'm not saying best ever. I'm not quite as it, as it's high gonna on it be, as you. It's going to be up there. You're going to watch it one day, and you're going to rewatch it and be like, "Wow, that's fantastic!" Oh, I just I picked it up on 4K Blu-ray the other day. I love Bingo. it. I've seen it See? a couple times. Anyways, but uh, probably Lego Movie. Yeah, it's up there. I, other than that, yeah, that's its only real competition. But Paddington, the thing that really impressed me. In the first movie, you can kind of – I mean it's very obvious. The director, who I'd never heard of before, is doing his best Wes Anderson impression. Mm -hmm. But the thing is he's – it's a really good Wes Anderson impression, like the best Wes Anderson impression I've ever seen. Um, In the second movie, you see it still, but it it doesn't feel as Wes Anderson-y. It feels like – just obviously Wes Anderson is a big influence on this guy, but this guy has his own vision of what he wants these movies to be. And the first one, I have a four stars. Second one, I think I gave four and a half. Second one is legitimately, possibly, currently top five of the year for me. I don't think I'd put it number one yet. Um, there's a couple things in contention. Some of them are later on in this list here. Uh, but it's just like a, a really amazing kids film. It doesn't talk down to anybody. Um, particularly no. kids, which is something that really bugs me with with lesser kids movies. Yeah, I agree with that. Not only that, it's it's not just a kids movie to be a kids movie. It's a kids movie that has something to say. Uh, in particular, the first the first one, in a very not heavy handed way, I picked up on it, but it's subtle. Um, but it has a lot to say about immigration. In the first Paddington movie, because Paddington is a bear that comes from from darkest Peru, and he's he's sent stuff happens, and he's sent off to London, and basically, the idea is during World War II, and this is a real life thing. During World War II, these immigrant children would be sent by train with a note around their neck and with a suitcase, and the note was basically just like, "Can somebody please take care of my kid?" Um, because it's just kind of got to get him out of danger. Obviously, it's a very sad thing to happen. But in that time, you're talking in the, in the 40, 30, late 30s, early 40s, it was not a rarity for some stranger to take care of these kids. Um, just out of you know the goodness of being a human being. Um, and Paddington arrives to London very much in that same way, expecting that to happen. And that is not what happens at all. So it's a little bit of a commentary on um, – kind of where people's hearts are nowadays <clears throat> and throughout the course of the film you, you see that message pretty clear um but it's also really funny and just it's it's really uplifting i really loved it uh the second one is even better and i agree hugh grant should get an oscar nomination uh, no you didn't like hugh grant's performance oh no i thought it was good but i just didn't think that uh oscar nom it's calmed down why not who else would you put there? I mean, um, there were there were other options, but at least to have a nomination. I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Who is a great supporting? Would that be supporting? I don't know. I, I, I thought he was fine. I just thought he was just a normal, typical, goofy villain. Oh, to me, he felt more inspired in his performance than he has in a long time. Sure. I'm not going to disagree. All right, what did you think of the Paddington flicks? Because you're a little colder on them than I am. Oh, I mean, I thought they were good. 
There, there weren't. Um, there wasn't. I think I gave the first one a three, and the second one a three uh, and a half. That's a bad rating, though. No, three to me is good. I, I consider it pretty good. I don't know. Three for me is very like, eh, whatever. That's two and a half for me. Two and a half is eh. three is when once I get into three is when I'm like, okay, yeah, this was good. But uh, I don't know. It just didn't do much. Like I kind of forget what happens in the movie. I just remember that uh, it, I thought the direction was very well done, though. Like like you said, very much Wes Anderson style, except not Wes Anderson, if that makes sense. The camera work is the camera work and kind of the staging and everything is very Wes Anderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and just there's the, enough the music too. The music was mm-hmm. I was like, oh my god, you're stealing this straight from Fantastic <laughs> Mr. Fox right now. So, uh, but I will. Somebody I did see a review on this, and somebody said if Wes Anderson's name was on this, it would be getting so much more attention. And, Absolutely, and I agree with that. But it would be I, I'll, a bit I'll put different. Out, I'll put I'll, I'll put out this. I don't know, possibly controversial statement. I'm not going to say Paddington 1, because Paddington 1 came out years ago, 2014. Paddington 2 came out this year, so it's relevant. Paddington 2 is better than Isle of Dogs. Oh, disagree, but I think they both are trying to accomplish different, much different things. Much different things. Because first off, one's rated R. <laughs> one's Isle of Dogs is rated R? Or It's not rated R, sorry, PG-13. PG-13. Isle of Dogs is PG-13. It's a it's an adult it's a movie for adults whereas Paddington I guess you I guess you know I'm 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 21 I'm an adult now I liked it <laughs> but I mean I I I think Isle of Dogs is better. That's it, I I enjoyed Isle of Dogs a lot um but for me Paddington too if I had to spend my money on one or the other I, I think my money would go Paddington too. Sure. But let's face it, my money would go to both of them. <laughs> I, I listen. I enjoyed Paddington Two a lot, and I enjoyed Paddington One a lot. They were incredibly fun watches. They just didn't do much for me that um, that holds on. I just they still have the the normal cheese that um, not not cheese the editor cheese just like <laughs> as as like cheese like just cheesy moments in the movie that just can't get me behind it I, as much. That's but you can say that's like typical of like a kids movie, but I don't know. I just feel like when you have like I don't want to bring up the Lego movie again, but I mean, you know, it's hard. I look, you love it. It's great. And I, it's a, honestly, if you love this movie and you want to give it five stars, I'm not going to disagree. Well, it's I didn't get a five. Movie. You didn't, didn't, get, didn't five. get a five stars. No, four and a four, half, four and a half. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you. I mean, if you, uh, I can see why it would move people a lot in this movie, but I, I disagree with the cheese line. I, I felt like it was very, eh. I didn't. I didn't feel any sense of phoniness or like just stuff happening just to happen. More in the first one. Okay. More in the first one. Than the the first second one. one is better in every single way. Can sure, we at I, least agree on I that? I will agree on that. Every single way in the second movie, everything that they did in the first movie. That's why I think the second one is basically just the first one, just a bit more improved. Besides, Paddington goes to jail. <laughs> <laughs> which is something we which is adorable it, Paddington's adorable he's a cute bear and he's wholesome and, and like if I had kids I'd show him Paddington in the Lego movie <laughs> alright let's move on because we could spend a lot of time on Paddington <laughs> I will uh, say this Paddington is better than Christopher Robin he's okay I haven't best. seen Christopher Robin yet although I have it in my queue I'm going to watch it in the next few days it's very meh yeah. It's it, honestly, if, if the Paddington director, if he made Winnie the, I honestly kind of wish he did, made made Christopher Robin, but of course he didn't. 
Well, he needs to finish out a Paddington trilogy, and then I'm I'm very curious to see where he goes from there because I'm I'm always, I'm very much a fan of this guy now. I think mm-hmm. he's uh he's got a great eye, and I love the way he moves his camera, even though it's it's Wes Anderson. Yeah. So he can always use another Wes Anderson. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, especially if the if the quality's you know around the same. Yeah. I mean, I love Wes Anderson. So. So um. So the next movie is uh, one that came to me via read, although I had been hearing some buzz about it, um, and it is Blind Spotting. This is one you you messaged me. You were very very excited about. Very reminiscent to the message I got for First Reformed, um, and another one that you were struggling between four and a half five stars on. So why don't you go ahead and take it, and then I'll give you my thoughts on it. Oh, what is this? Oh, oh. you got a little yes to hey. rub. Uh, yes. Hey, hey, I, I would like to get out. Oh. I got three days left on this probation, Miles, so let me Come on, on man, up. You gotta let me hold one of these. Yeah, that you can continue for your gun deal. Yeah. One in the little visor thing right there. The visor? Oh, yeah. Of course there's one in the visor. Oh, my goodness. Look. Precious me. The one in my Look pocket. Very nice. Why are there six guns in your car, Dad? Oh, Colin, man, I like yours right, right here. Yo, that this is, is not dope. mine. Also, that. stop pointing at them me. They're not loaded, bro. Those are for show loaded. Oh, okay. Okay. See? So this is my uh, favorite movie of the year so far, of course. We still have months, we still have some months to go, and we still have so many movies that are going to come out from here in the end of the year, and ones I haven't seen. But this right now is my current favorite, because it does everything. The character, let's start with the characters. The characters are so likable. And just so they, the the humor comes across. It, it, nothing in this movie ever feels forced. Like the the characters come across like they're actual people that you would find on the street, even though they kind of do some ridiculous stuff. Um, like and like you know, just the character the characters are re- relatable, likable. The like every single one, pretty much. Um, the right, the writing is so good, which, um, which I was surprised that the two main leads actually wrote the movie. Um, and one of them was in, uh, Hamilton. So, which is something that I really wanted to see, of course, but, uh, that, that's impossible. Too much money. Um, but yeah, it, this, this movie is just so gosh darn good. So many riveting just scenes, uh, towards the second half of this film that I will not forget. Uh, this year, and I need to rewatch it too. I was going to rewatch it, but the copy I had was like out of sync by like t- three seconds, and I was like, "Nope, not doing this." <laughs> but um, everything about this movie was just so good, so good. The acting, to the script, um, to the way th- there were so many incredible, like creative ways. Uh, what they were transition scenes and doing time, time of like you know time elapsing, uh, just so good. It's hard for me to come up with things to say without spoiling the movie because <laughs> I want to talk about this, but I don't want to spoil it because I want people to see it because it is so good. And not enough people will see it. No. It's – um, this is – of the list, and may, this and maybe the next movie we're going to talk about are the two hardest to avoid spoilers, but I'm, I'm going to do my darndest here. Yeah. Because almost all of the contention or chatter about the movies come from – very spoilery, th- spoilery things. 
It's hard um, to describe the movie, like what it's about, without like saying like this happened. And, you know. Yeah. Um. So I'll do my I'll do my best here. Uh. So it's a movie about um two friends in Oakland. One's a black man. One's a white guy. And um, they're dealing with basically changes that are happening in their life and in their in their neighborhood. Oakland is becoming more and more hipstery. Uh, you got the hipsters coming in, and it doesn't really necessarily sit sit well. And you also got the um, kind of racial tension, not between the friends, because like you said, they're they're very. The thing that struck me was just how realistic. They felt they did not feel like characters at all. Yeah, they just they felt like real people that you know, um, and they've been best friends for like their whole life. Um, so the main character, uh, Colin, played by David Diggs, this guy has given aside from Ethan Hawke in first performed, possibly my favorite performance of the year so far. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, he he just got out of jail. He did time uh, for a felony, something that was technically a felony. You learn about what happened and how it happened later in the film, and it's one of those things that's kind of up in the air. Yeah, he's kind of at fault, but really it's just – it's bad circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, he, he gets out on probation, and he has all the, you know, the checklist of probation, stuff you got to do, uh, stuff you got to abide by, the curfew and everything. And his three months of that, and then he's free. And it's basically him being returned out into Oakland with his friends and everything, and just trying to abide by that and stay, you know, stay on the straight and narrow, so to speak. And uh, his his best friend uh, Miles, the white guy, he's kind of a little unhinged. Um, I don't know if unhinged is the right word, because his heart's in the right place. Like I said, yeah. very r- real, realized people there's no it's not like a, a black and white thing they all have their pluses and minuses they all have their um their good sides and their faults and um i think miles always means right but he's not always doing the smartest things anyway stuff happens that's really the most bare bones first 10 minutes <laughs> uh explanation i can give <laughs> without getting too deep would it be get would it, would it be too spoilery to give out the main crux, like the main first thing that happens, it does happen in like the first ten minutes, maybe first fifteen. I minutes. guess they do show it in the trailer, but then again, uh, I don't really recommend anyone watch trailers anymore because they just spoil the movie. So. Yeah, I'm gonna give this out just because it's not really a spoiler. It's it's if you read the plot. I think, yeah, I think it's in the plot too. It has it, they give it away anyway. Colin goes out on probation. Witnesses another man being gunned down by a cop. Uh, the the man was fleeing. You have no idea why. The cop just put some bullets in his back right in front of Colin. So it's him trying to come to terms with that, deal with that, and deal with all these outside pressures while trying to maintain being on the straight and narrow. And basically just doesn't want to go back to jail. And it's, Really, the, the the best summation I give is him just trying to deal with all these changes happening all at once. There's a real tension um, going throughout the entire movie. So anyway, um, like I said, my the, the the number one thing that stuck out to me was what you said, which is how real these people felt. Typically, I want to say movies – going into this, I didn't think 
I would be on high as high on it as I was. I didn't watch any trailers or anything. I just got the like real bare bones plot details from you, basically what I gave out just a second ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm like, well, I'll watch it, but I wasn't expecting anything great. But uh, never like at no point in this movie did I feel even the slightest bit bored. Yeah. Oh no, yeah, this movie it's only like an hour thirty, I think, right? Or yeah. Something like that. It goes by like goes by like that. Like the movie's almost done. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're done. I yeah. want more. The acting was fantastic. And the thing that surprised me the most, that was just like a, a really pleasant surprise. I was not expecting this to be a comedy and I would not call it a comedy. But this has some oh, yeah. really genuinely funny moments in it. I laugh my ass off more at this than I probably did for like any other comedy that came out this year. Yes. It's like things were happening and I find myself laughing and I'm like, this can't be a comedy. Like the way Reed sold it to me. But like – and it's – they're genuinely funny moments that happen from their life. It's not things like a lot of times in comedies you get where – this scenario happens and this and it's all – you can just tell it's just a building to this one big punchline. That's not what this is at all. It's just – it's like hanging out with your friends and you, you're just joking around oh, yeah. and someone says something funny. That's exactly what this felt like. Um, and it's all through the movie. It's like genuinely really funny um, but genuinely tense and it has a lot to say. So I mean it has the best of like all worlds that you could possibly want. Um there are two scenes I put in my review on Letterboxd. I won't give out any spoilers. I didn't give out any spoilers on the review. Um, there are two scenes that I put that felt suffocating. They're so tense that it was one of those things where like, I found myself not breathing. <laughs> like You have to <laughs> kind of remember to breathe. Um, but – and I'm sure you know what two scenes I'm talking oh, about. Yeah, yeah. Um but you you get moments of that, and then you get like the laugh out loud funny stuff, and all all in all, like even with all the dramatic tension and everything going on in this movie, I was kind of sad to see it done because I just want I, I genuinely like these two guys, and even like the the ancillary characters, they're all very they just feel like real people that you know. Um, so I was like, yeah, let bring on blind spotting too. Although <laughs> I don't know what that <laughs> plot would be. Um, oh. But yeah, one of the year's best. Definitely, it's it's in my top five so far. I don't know exactly where it lands yet, um, but I loved I loved it a lot. It is I noticed on some of the other reviews, particularly with some of the critics I follow, it's getting some flag for the ending. The ending, oh. it's one of those things you either buy or you don't, and I completely bought it, and I know Reed did too. Um, so take with that what you will. Uh, it's polarizing. But I, I feel like it was it was earned and it was it was set up too well. Yeah, I, exactly. At no point did I think like this is this is ridiculous. Yeah, I, yeah. That ending I'm speaking of is one of those scenes where like I it was one of those one of those two tense scenes where I was like trying to remember to breathe. Um, so obviously I had a response to it and I, I felt it paid off really well. So it completely worked for me, but I've noticed a lot of the reviews they're going one way or the other and it's all dividing line is the ending. Um, but I completely bought it. I gave it four and a half. I think you gave it four and a half as well, right? Yeah. I was going to rewatch it and see if it is a five, but we'll see. It may be. It uh, may be. Firstly, before we move on to a different movie, I want to talk about a movie you just put in your letterbox last night. Yeah. Which is Blade Runner. The original. Okay. You finally saw the original Blade Runner. I, he gave it a good score, 
So I want to yes. know what you thought about it because that's one of my favorite flicks. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten hours of gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Time to die. So yeah, um, Reed's been on me. Uh, not so much about Blade Runner, but Blade Runner 2049. The, the sequel is one of my favorites, but the original is, of course, another Yeah, one. so I picked them both up on 4K uh, a week yeah. or two ago. The second one's not... going to blow your mind in 4K. Oh, boy. Well, this first one blew my mind in 4K. Yeah, that's so, true. So I had... I'm obviously not going to watch the sequel until I watch the original. So last night I had some time, sat down and watched it. I'll get a little inside baseball in here. I don't know how many people listening, if anyone's listening, any anybody listening has 4K or knows a lot about the medium or anything. But um, 4K, obviously, four times the uh, the resolution, the picture quality of what a standard Blu-ray is. And Blu-ray, as you know, is already like fantastic. It's high def. Mm-hmm. Um, so 4K is amazing. Depending on the transfer, just like with Blu-rays, Blu-rays can look amazing. Some look you know, good. Some look okay, and there are very few, but some look like garbage because the transfer was garbage. Yeah. Same with same with 4K. Particularly when you when you're getting into these older films, Blade Runner's from 1982, so it's effectively older than I am. Um, <laughs> and I'm I'm old as crap. So uh, this has been alluded to. Yes. Uh, so this movie's three years older than I am, and obviously, films from there until you know fairly recently um all shot on 35 millimeter mainly shot on 35 millimeter you get some exceptions here and there so depending on what they do with that if they, if it's a new scan which for 4k it almost has to be they'll rescan the original negative it's a very most of the time with 4ks of these old movies you're going to get a better picture quality at the very least it's going to be a moderate improvement over the blu-ray sometimes they do stupid things and it becomes worse um the for, off the top of my head the force gump 4k looks worse than the the blu-ray oh, really wow it's because uh, I, I hate to get on these darn millennials but uh, <laughs> people don't appreciate film and okay. I'm not talking about film as a as a like a in, as another word for movies. I'm talking about f- film, like what you put movies and photography on. Film has grain, and that's an attribute of film. I love seeing that stuff. If I film grain in 4K to me looks beautiful. I love it. Mm-hmm. But you get some of these newer people that aren't they're younger and they don't know about film and all that, and they want everything to look like Fast and Furious Eight on 4k where there's not a hint of anything because it was shot in like 8k um and then like what's all this what's all this grain doing on my television screen so so you get companies that come in and i'll do what they call dnr digital noise reduction which is fine 
it's a technology I use in my photographs sometimes when the when the noise is a little bit too much. But if you go out of control with it, it makes everything look like plastic. And that's what they did with with Forrest Gump, and that's what they did with uh, T2, uh, Judgment Day. Oh, I know, heart, heartbreaking. Because T2, one of the er, my earliest movie memories ever. I wanted to buy it. I will not buy it. Um, <laughs> anyway, all that to say, Blade Runner in 4K looks amazing. Uh, yeah, they, there is even the Blu-ray looks amazing. So the the grain looks beautiful. The thing that really and it shouldn't surprise me because I've heard this before, but the for effects from 1982, this looks like it could have been filmed really pretty recently. Yeah, everything holds up completely. I, I know it's. I don't think there are any digital effects in this movie because I don't think it was much of a thing yet. Um, but all practical effects and everything. There was so much. The world building in this movie is like on a level I haven't seen since Star Wars, oh, like yeah. the original trilogy. I mean, um, it inspired so many movies after it. Oh yeah, absolutely. You can it. you can tell just seeing. And yesterday or early this morning it was the first time I've ever seen it. I it's one of those. Movies I ashamedly had never gotten around to, and there's a, a big list of them uh, I'm trying to work through. <laughs> Same I, here. Watching this, I'm like, immediately, oh, this this took that from this took this and this took this, and you see just like just such a lineage of really great art that came after Blade Runner that was very obviously inspired by Blade Runner. Anyway, I loved it. I gave it four and a half. Um, I, I guess I guess we can kind of go a little spoiler here on this because it's been 1982 i think i was probably the last last person who hasn't seen it <laughs> um but yeah i i watched a, a video essay on this earlier today and uh it was about the underlying theme of loneliness in blade runner and that mm. opened my 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 mind up to it a lot more when i watched it, i liked it and when i watched that and i was like okay this is even more than i thought it was which up the rating a little bit. Um, what I love about this is if you're looking at it on a surface level, you have a traditional good guy and you have a traditional bad guy and you have, okay, this is the good guy's objectives and this is what he has to do. Um, so it's Harrison Ford having to take out the replicants. Um, there's four or five in the movie. <clears throat> replicants are basically androids that are made to be slaves for humans, do work. Um, they look just like humans, except they're like four times smarter, four times faster, four times stronger. Um, and they don't know that they're replicants. They're implanted with uh, memories. So they don't, they don't like, as, as far as they're concerned, they have a past. They're, they're real people. Um, and through some, some rebellions and stuff that happened on a different planet, replicants are banned from Earth. They're not allowed to be on Earth. And Earth is this dystopian place. Um, it's it, the whole movie set in Los Angeles. If you look, it, it, I was getting a kick out of yesterday. Um, like the first title, well, one of the first title cards that come up, it says, uh, uh, November 19, uh, November, 2019, Los Angeles. And I was like, this looks a little different than I expect Los Angeles to look like <laughs> next year. But, um, well, what's crazy is that like, obviously it's so realistic for like how, futuristic the movie is like obviously we're not going to have like flying cars in a year but like the fact that like it just feels so grounded and so realistic in this world that's people have flying cars and 
freaking has <laughs> there's like aliens walking around or whatever replicants yeah and then um you, you, you just the cityscapes and everything exactly. just i mean even when you put it in context of being in 1982 if you showed me this and say hey this is a 2018 movie I'm like this looks amazing like the, right. the level of detail put in this never mind it being 35 years old um so that's that's the biggest takeaway but um my favorite thing about it, and this might be a little spoilery if you haven't seen it and intend to watch it, which you should if you haven't seen it. Um, just skip ahead a few minutes. But your hero's not really a hero. Your villain's not really a villain. And while Harrison Ford does hunt down some of the replicants, in the end, he's he's basically bested in every single way, and the only reason he survives is out of the goodness of the replicant's heart. And the replicant he doesn't defeat the replicant; the replicant dies because of his self timer thing. And I thought that was really pretty awesome. Yep. <laughs> uh, which which version did you? I, there's apparently a lot of different cuts of this. Well, so like I guess the original. The original, original vert, which I think now, what's this cut called? There's like this is like the third cut. The this, final cut is the, the one I watched. The final cut is pretty much what everyone has seen. That's the cut that should have happened, and that's pretty much the. I think that's like the only one you can get now, or something like that. So I guess originally the original cut when they released this in theaters in 1982 was um, they thought like the studio thought that people wouldn't get the movie, so they had Harrison Ford do voiceovers. To the, I've heard to, of these voiceovers. Yeah, the, if you ever look look them up, they're pretty bad. <laughs> like at the end of the movie, like I I don't want to spoil it, but in the movie when he's doing the tears and the rain thing, Harrison Ford like says some monologue of like he he saved my life or something. And he learned some learned some about like humanity or something like some cheesy voiceover thing, and it's just like oh that's so bad. Which was pretty much originally why this movie was shunned and people didn't really like it uh, when this movie first came out. Um, now it's obviously considered like a masterpiece and whatnot, but, uh, so yeah, there was that. And I think years later he, they, they released a director's cut, which is like, which has like a alternate ending, which is also a big thing. We're going to go all spoiler here cause I can't help it. But, um, that's when they added the horse scene. You remember the horse scene? The unicorn? Or the, or the unicorn. Sorry, not the horse, the unicorn where, um, basically it kind of shows that, um, uh, Decker is a replicant, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was actually not in the original cut. Um, that was something that Ridley Scott added in years later, uh, in that whole thing. And then I think that scene also has a different ending, where instead of the elevator closing, um, you see them driving off in the sunset or whatever, um, Decker and the girl. Um, and then, yeah, then they had the final cut, uh, which is the one you're watching now. Um, so, yeah, so... That whole Decker was a replicant thing was kind of that. I think that 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 shot that they had with the unicorn going around is from like a different film that Ridley Scott shot years later that he added into that cut to make it. Whereas Decker is now a replicant. Um, God, this is just making me want to watch a sequel. <laughs> I'm telling you, you got to watch a sequel. The sequel I, is it, incredible. It might happen after this po- this podcast ends, it, especially in 4K. It's looking great. The only problem with my my only criticism with the movie is that while it is two hours and like 30 minutes and it deserves that time, it could be like 
cut down just a little bit. But everything in the movie is so fantastic that I can't. God, it makes me want to watch it. But anyways, <laughs> but yes, yeah. So there's like three cuts. The 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 cut that pretty much you can. I think it's the only cut that you can get now is the final cut, which is the cut that everyone should see. Um, yeah, it's it's the only cut available in 4K. Yeah, and from everything, all the research I've done, it's the it's the cut that everyone agrees is the best. Yeah, I guess yeah. I, I I'd heard about the uh, the voiceover and some of the changes, and like no one liked it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so so yeah, I've I've actually been uh, listening to another film podcast called The Cinephiles. Have you ever listened to that one? No, or I've I've heard of it. I think I've heard of it. I've never listened though. It's uh really good. I just started today, and I, uh, I of course I downloaded a bunch of episodes. And basically, their thing is each episode they take one movie and they deconstruct it, and they talk about the filming of it, they talk about the direction, they talk about the movie itself, obviously mm-hmm. um, stories that happen like on set, all that, all that jazz. Um, and the first episode I decided to listen to was their episode on Blade Runner, and they did two and a half hours on it. Um, so they address a lot of that. Yeah, they address a lot of that. Um, they talk about, I guess, there was a lot of tension on set. A lot of the the crew did not like Ridley Scott very much, because oh, uh, yeah. he's very like uh, very intricate and very precise, and wanted he wanted what he wanted. You know, of course, it's yeah. a it's a very delicate movie because you can tell just by watching it. If it were given in the hands of a lesser director, it would be a total B movie. Yeah, but the way he pulls it off and. Most of all, the world building in it, it just elevates it to like a masterpiece level. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, all I have to say is um, I loved it. So excited to see the next one. Um, moving on, I'm glad I cut the, the top five down to five instead of ten because <laughs> I was correct. We were, we were going to go long. Of course we were. Um, so in stark contrast to everything we said about blind spotting. This next movie, I think, had some of the same ambitions, but in my opinion, wasn't as successful. And that movie is Sorry to Bother You, the weirdest movie of the year. And I'll let you take it from there. Hey, young blood, let me give you a tip. Use your white voice. Man, I ain't got no white voice. Oh, come on, you know what I mean. You have a white voice in there, you can use it. It's like when you're pulled over by the police. Oh, no, I just use my regular voice when that happens. I just say, back the fuck up off the car, and don't nobody get out. All right, man, I'm just trying to give you some game. You want to make some money here? Then read the script with a white voice. People say I talk with a white voice anyway, so why ain't it helping me out? Well, you don't talk white enough. I'm not talking about Will Smith's wife. I'm talking about the real deal. Like this young blood. Hey, Mr. Kramer, this is Langston from Regal View. I didn't catch you at the wrong time, did I? Okay, um, so sorry to bother you. Uh, it definitely surprised me <laughs> to say at least. So I actually wanted to see this like months ago. Uh, I remember I went like back when Mission Impossible was in the theater. I wanted to see this, um, and I had no idea what it was about or anything. And I was just, but it, I heard it was pretty good. It was pretty weird. So I was like, "Fuck, it. I, I want to see it." Didn't didn't see it until pretty recently. Um, and yeah, um, it's uh, it's fine. <laughs> it's harder for me to talk about this. I don't know how to begin without thinking of obviously what happens in the movie and not spoiling it. But okay, here we here it goes. Um, so the film is about <sighs> shit. 
how do, how do I describe this film? It's uh, it's about a guy who basically is down on his luck. Uh, he needs a job. Uh, he's living in his, uh, I think, like his uncle's uh, garage, um, and he gets a job. He gets a job at a uh, uh, what? 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 Why can't I think? Collins. Telemarketer. Call, telemarketer. God damn! I want to call it a call-in center, but I'm like, they're not. Nobody's calling into them. They're calling other people. Um, and the the kind of the the phrase "sorry to bother you" is from when you know a telemarketer calls and say they say sorry to bother you. Um, and it's basically about uh, that uh, corporate America uh, like ruining everything. I guess it's so so hard to talk about what this movie is about. Um, I. It, it's the definitely the weirdest movie of 2018. Um, one of the most ambitious, but I don't really like it all that all that much. I like I like parts of it. First off, the acting is pretty well done throughout every. I think everyone does a really good job. It starts the guy who yells "Get out!" and "Get out!" Um, and then uh, the girl. What's her? Name? She's from Thor. Yeah, she played uh, Valkyrie. Valkyrie, yeah. Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson, there we go. She's also in Creed. Um, uh, yeah, Tessa Thompson and uh, uh, the guy from The Walking Dead. I uh, can't remember his uh, name. Glenn, 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 whatever his real yeah. name is. He has a Steve movie. Steve Yoon. Steve Yoon. Steve Yoon, there we go. He has a movie coming out, which uh, I guess we'll talk about later, That if whenever we get to movies we're looking forward to. But um, Sorry, to, yeah, but it, and it starts a, bunch, a whole cast of people um, the acting overall is pretty gr- good. It's hard for me to describe this movie. Look, I'm not even going to describe it. I just want people to watch it and know what your opinions on it. Because to me, I thought the film was fine. Uh, I didn't. It's not even that I I, I disliked what it was going for to, uh, specifically towards uh, the the third half of the movie, um, the last half. Uh, some stuff that happens. It's not even that I dislike that because you know I, it's pretty weird and pretty out there. Um, my biggest problem with this movie is its presentation. I didn't really like a lot of the editing and the cinematography was very mad to me. Um, and just like the, the weird way it was paced and the weird way that things would happen in the film, uh, and like the world that it created, I just, I guess I wasn't a big fan of. I understand it though. It's basically just like a whole, it's a, it's a whole message on, I can't even. I I can't. I can't, <laughs> I, I can't get into it. I don't want. I, I, first off, I don't want to spoil it, and it's so hard for me to talk about this film. Um, it was just. It's. Just, I just didn't really like it that much. Uh, I thought the 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 writing was very weak and whatever, and fine. Um, I do like a lot of. Um, you know, I saw I saw a video about this and somebody made uh, kind of dissecting the film. And I like a lot of uh, things that um, it talks about. God, it's so hard for me to talk about this film. <laughs> Look, I'm done. I, I thought it was whatever. It was fine. I didn't really like it all that much. Uh, it wasn't really great. It was very – it was weird. And I like weird. But it wasn't really that good <laughs> in my opinion. So I'm so... not going to talk about it anymore because I don't know what to say. So she'll come to see this is going to be kind of a typical uh, Beej and Reed conundrum here. Whereas I say, Reed says, I didn't like this movie very much. It's like, well, I liked it more than Reed. Uh, (laughs) This applies to basically every movie that isn't called Killing of a Sacred Deer. Um, Oh, my gosh. So I liked Sorry to Bother You more than Reed. 
I I think I sat three and a half on it out of five, but it does not accomplish what it is set out to do, in my opinion. So it's it's about the guy he's working a telemarketer firm, very unsuccessful, very down on his luck, and uh, Danny Glover tells him that you need to use your white people voice over the phone, and that you'll find success if you do that. Um, now to where you said the 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 editing, I, I didn't have a problem with the editing. I actually kind of liked it a little. Um, but the the world it builds, it doesn't feel. This is like this. This is why I wanted to put it right after Blind Spotting because they're very much in stark contrast to each other. Yeah. Whereas Blind Spotting felt very real, like it's you can go out on the street and these are the people you see. This felt a lot different. It almost felt like a weird um, cartoony type dream. Um, but I think that was necessary. It was yeah, it was intentional. Because if they don't, if the whole movie wasn't like that, the last act that comes completely out of left field would have felt so much, even more jarring than it already was. <laughs> and um, in as much as Blind Spotting has a kind of a divisive ending, this movie. Is like that on steroids. It's, <laughs> uh, I'm obviously I'm not going to say a word about it. I don't know that anyone would believe me if I did. Uh, it's it's almost like someone brought an entirely different movie and just smushed it onto the end of this one. Um, it's weird. It's it's very very weird. Um, Overall, though, I, I liked it. I thought it was good. At no point was I ever bored in this movie. I, I, th- I felt it was entertaining no. enough to hold your attention. It's just what we gave you there is a very, very starting point. Like when he starts using his white voice, that's when just things start. It, it, I don't even I don't even know that it has much of a plot beyond that. <laughs> it's just like things that happen. Yeah. And then his response to those things that happen. And then weirder things happen, and then weirder things happen, and then the weirdest things happen. Uh, yeah. And it's it, it feels it feels very much like a dream. Like um I always joke with my friends that I have when I dream I they make no sense. Like it, they start out normal and then just the weirdest, most random things happen and then it's, like I never have a normal dream. That's what this movie is. <laughs> this is like one of my dreams where it starts out kinda normal and then just stuff goes off the rails and yeah it's worth watching it's worth picking up or maybe not picking up renting or, or catching um online something it, it, i don't even think it's that long maybe an hour and a half a little yeah, over an hour, an, hour and a, hour and a half. an hour and a half yeah at no point will anyone be bored and at the very least it's worth watching just to see what your reaction reaction is to that big thing in the third act i, I, I was yeah, honestly I, i'd say the same thing i was watching it and when that happened, I literally like immediately picked up the f- picked up my phone, sent Reed a message, and was like, "This is the weirdest movie I've ever seen." <laughs> uh, but yeah, check it out. Um, if you watch it and you have thoughts, give us a comment. Let us know what you thought. I'm I'm curious to see what other people thought. This is another one. People were re- very split, uh, like blind spotting. Some people loved it and thought it was brilliant. Some people, like Reed and I, uh, thought it didn't quite work completely. But still, I, I thought it was enjoyable. It's just. Uh, it's a trip. It's you're not going to see anything else like this this year, at least, no, or yeah. most years that I can think of. It was definitely um, something else, and I, and I respect it for that. It it did something oh, yeah. different. 
a hundred percent. And I, I love it when a movie goes out of the box and tries to be different rather than be formulaic and like every other movie. So, yeah, their their intentions here and their the balls they had on them to do what they they did. It's completely commendable, and I think that's where most of my three and a half star rating for this movie comes out. Uh, I just I respect that guts gutsiness of uh, you know, saying this is this is my art and this is what I want to happen and this is what's going to happen. So, sure. yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, moving on, uh, one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, this is one that I had I had in my uh, my watch list for a while, and then Reed went and saw it and messaged me about it and kind of brought it back to my memory. So I had to go and ch- check it out right away. But um, it is You Were Never Really Here, the Joaquin Phoenix mm-hmm. movie. 235 East 31st Street. That's what the text said. You have kids, Joe? No. Nina. Her name is Nina. I've heard of these places. Underage girls. Senator, if she's there, I'll get her. Cleary said you were brutal. I can be. It was a great flick. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it. It's all. This is another one. It's only like an hour and thirty minutes, and it goes by like that. I think it's actually yeah. less than that. It's yeah, like really. eighty, eighty some minutes. Wow. Yeah, I was looking at times for like movies that are coming out soon, and mid nineties is like an hour and twenty seven minutes. I was like, wow. But yeah, a lot of short movies, but a lot of great ones because this is really great. Um, yeah. Have you ever seen Joaquin Phoenix be bad in a movie? No. <laughs> exactly. This guy is incredible. He is fantastic. I've never seen and which just makes me so curious about this Joker movie that he's doing. Uh, but ooh, I don't really want to talk about that cuz it's probably going to be bad. But he he's incredible. And this movie's incredible. I have not seen a lot of the other directors work. Um, I'm blanking on the name right now. Lynn Ramsey. There we go. Um, I have not seen a lot of her work, but um, I, after seeing this movie, I really want to see more of her work and see what she's done. Um, I've heard some pretty good things about uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin, so which is a movie that she did, of course. But It's another one that's on my watch list that I have to get to. Yeah, exactly. But uh, just from this movie, the cinematography was fantastic. Um I, I my biggest issue with the film are just a kind of, a couple specific not specific scene I guess it's specific scenes one in particular which I feel like if I I don't want to spoil I don't want to like talk we'll talk about probably about a spoiler but I think you probably know it's your favorite scene the security the cam the yeah security we split cam. pretty hard on this one <laughs> yeah I was I felt like it was done pretty sloppily but. I still I I like the concept when the con when it, when I saw it happening I was like oh this is gonna be awesome it just looked really fit I feel like if this movie had a better fight choreographer it would have been a lot better <laughs> like if like like I I don't know I I feel like I I gave it a four star so I still thought it was great like I still thought it was a great movie there was so much about it that was fantastic um, as I mentioned Joaquin Phoenix is incredible so is like pretty much everyone in this movie the story is incredibly unpredictable and you have absolutely no idea where it's going um i th- um 
this is like the opening shot and the opening scene of the movie is great. Um, just setting up what Walking Phoenix is. Uh, but like I said, the security, and then there's a lot of like, they did it towards the end too, uh, which I don't want to talk about. God damn it. They didn't do a security thing, but with the, the, the action, they cut away from it, which uh, you said you liked that. I felt like that was kind of, I guess it's, I guess it works. It's a, I liked it more towards the end, but I felt like the security camera scene, it was just really sloppy. I don't know. I just was not, I I remember watching it and I was so amped for it. And then when it happened, I was like. Oh, that wasn't as good as I thought it would be. I went four and a half on this, and this is one of my favorites of the year. It's definite top ten, maybe top five. Um, So I don't know where you fall on that as far as being one of the best of the year. I absolutely (laughs) adored this movie. Um, So just to throw this out there, Joaquin Phoenix, he's a veteran, and he's had some early life trauma. He's not all completely right in the head. Um, I thought you were talking about like his actual, like him being as a person. <laughs> I was so confused for a second. I guess so, I should say the character Joaquin Phoenix plays <laughs> is a veteran who is traumatized and not all there in the head. Um, anyway, his job is he 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 tracks down missing girls, and uh, it becomes very evident. This is not a spoiler. Um, this is a movie about sex slavery. Um, so people pay Joaquin to track these girls down. They know that he he's going to hurt them or worse. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he retrieves the girls and that's his job. And he's very good at his job. And that's, that's the gist of the movie. Um, the security camera footage scene. I loved, uh, I have to rewatch it again, watching it the first time. I had no complaints about it. Uh, with you saying it was, you, you thought it was sloppy or it just didn't didn't jive well. I'd have to go back and watch it with a more critical eye. Although I, I think my opinion would probably stay unchanged. Um, I, I'm not. I guess I'm not looking for it. it. It's it's basically an entire scene, and I'm not gonna give away the plot details of it. But there's a you know 30 second to two minutes somewhere in that in that time frame of just silent security camera footage and it goes from camera to camera to camera and you're seeing what's playing out to me it, it felt it felt appropriate because it's security camera footage it's not going to be the best you're only getting little bits and pieces as the the cameras as you get little pieces of the cameras so for me it, it worked um hmm. the the i wanted to address the one thing you said about violence i i thought that was really actually pretty brilliant in, in serving two two functions, a just just functionally, I don't know what the budget was on this movie, but I don't think it was very much. It can't have been very much. Um, not, it felt yeah. like a very cheap, and I'm not saying cheap in derogatory term, but cheap in a monetary version, independent film. Uh, there's not a lot of actors in it. Like it's it's basically a one man show. You got Joaquin, you got a little girl who who is fantastic as well. Um, mm-hmm. But so in basically what they do, there there are moments of extreme violence in this. You don't really see it, though. You see the aftermath. Mm-hmm. So from a, a fiscal standpoint, you don't got to you don't got to have fight choreography. You don't got to show all this crazy stuff. You don't got to have CGI or any any of that. Um, so it obviously saves a lot of money, keeps the budget low. So I, I thought that was a little bit of a stroke of, of brilliance. But in terms of the story itself, I thought it worked even better. Because so much of this movie, you're trying to 
to figure out you're trying to figure out Joaquin Phoenix's character. Um, not everything's given to you right away, and not everything's given to you at all in the movie. Like there's there's some some bridges you have to kind of to gap to try to understand what's going on. Um, and I like that he's a very solitary, quiet man, but because of the trauma that he's experienced in the past. And it's a very obvious trauma that he's not over, as evidenced by they have some flashbacks and some things that happen throughout his life. He has a he has a mean streak, and and God bless him, like he's taking it out <laughs> on the right people. I wish I wish I could have this kind of job. Like it, there was a part of me that was completely just like any time he came up against uh, when he was trying to find these girls, like I just wanted to like jump up in the air and fist pump like I was all for it <laughs> um but there's a there's a critic I was listening to his review I think it was on film spotting and they brought up and I thought it was really pretty brilliant it's not something that I came up with on my own but it made me think a lot when I heard it and it was is Joaquin Phoenix character let me pull up his name Joe okay his name's Joe <laughs> uh is Joe is Joe trying to exercise the demons from his past, from his trauma, these horrible things that have happened to him? Is him going on these kind of fits of rage? I guess I don't even know if that's the correct term to use um, because he's active, he's putting it towards a good use. He's trying to rescue these these girls. And most of them this, – this movie doesn't pull any punches. Most of these girls are – you know, like 10 or younger. Yeah. Um, so these extreme fits of violence, is he trying to exercise these demons from his past, this trauma? And I think you can look at it that way. And through various scenes that happen later in the movie, you can see that it's probably not really working. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, um, not to get too deep into it because mm. There's a lot to dissect, and it's just—it's one of those movies you, you just watch it. It's—it's it's short. I pull it up on Letterbox here; it's 89 minutes, um, so it's less than an hour and a half. Yeah, and it um, goes by quick. Like, it goes by very quick. There's not a lot of dialogue in this. Um, it's a lot visually. It's a, a beautiful film. I, I love the cinematography of it. I love the directing of it. Yeah. There's not a lot to be said because most of the movie you're spent with, with Joe, and Joe's not much of a talker. Joe's very he internalizes stuff, and you see him dealing with the things he has to deal with. He's a quiet things, boy. Yeah. Things happen in the movie. Obviously, plot happens, um, and there's ups and downs in the movie that set up the second and third acts, uh, which we haven't touched on and we won't touch on because of spoilers. But mm. all that to say, I really love this movie. It's a movie I've I've thought about. It's stuck in my head. Right after I watched it, I... I knew I loved it, but it's one of those movies you just keep thinking about, and the more you think about it, at least for me, I like it even more and more. Mm -hmm. um, now, in terms of just me being you know, a nerdy Batman fan, I kept watching this thinking, like, why can't we have a Batman film like this? <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is kind of funny to say since Joaquin Phoenix is playing the Joker, but why can't we have a Batman movie like this? Um, I mean, I know the the logical reasons for them wanting to mass appeal and everything, but and this is completely a complete sidebar tangent. Like, it has nothing to do with this movie. But um, 
I love Batman and the last few Batman movies have been an insult to me. Like, uh, maybe one day we'll, we'll talk about the DCU and I can just oh God. unleash all my fury. It's gonna be um, terrible. But why can't we have a Batman movie like this? Why can't we just forego the villains that are in every single Batman movie? They just use the same villains over and over and over again. Just forego that and have Batman just going and just destroying some sex predators and saving these sex slaves. Like I would be all for that. It just, I don't know. <laughs> they don't want it to be rated R. Won't make enough money. Oh yeah, I, I know the, the the logical reasons why they wouldn't do it. But wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, I'm not disagreeing. Just Batman, you don't even got to put the suit on him. Just basically, if you just retitled this movie like <laughs> Batman, <laughs> then yeah, then it would be a Batman movie. That was like in the back of my head. Like Bat- Joaquin Phoenix would be such a good Batman, but obviously he's Joker, so. That's the opposite of what I want, but uh, obviously he's the bad guy. Yeah, but I, uh, as far as this Joker movie, I think it. I hope it'll be good. I mean, it's Joaquin Phoenix, and he doesn't do bad things really. So yeah, just the director scares me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, we're getting long-winded. Of course. Uh, uh, eighth grade. What did you think of eighth grade? I said one more week of eighth grade, right? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, huh? I can't believe you're going to be in high school. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? I don't know. You excited? Yes. Yes. Yes, I'm very excited. I'm so excited. It was good. <laughs> It was good, actually. It was really good. Uh, a lot of it was uh, like like blind spotting. You felt like you were watching a real eighth grader. Mm-hmm. Like you felt like you were watching actual like characters, or not characters, sorry, actual people in this film. Um, I think if there's like any my big criticism with it um, is that it kind of just looked like a TV movie. Um, I think you could just kind of tell that it was Bo's first uh, directorial debut. <laughs> Um, because the movie just the cinematography wise didn't really impress me that much. There wasn't really much going on there. It kind of reminded me of Lady Bird in that sense, of that the script's really great, um, but cinematography wise, there's not much going on there. But I mean, still, still good. There, but there was like a lot of times where I felt like if they just used like a different lens, like I felt like it would look look like a better, like a really better shot. Um, the uh, main performance, which I think uh, is uh. Main performance by the girl. Don't remember her name, but she did uh, a voice in Despicable Me. She's like the little kid. She's a, it's so fluffy girl. Yes, which kind of makes me hate her now. But <laughs> um, but no, I mean she was great. Um, she was so relatable, and just the situations that she goes through is just like oh, heart wrenching. Um, if there's anything, this is not a spoiler, but the movie um, it does does it does just kind of end. You know, and uh, which I actually kind of, it's not a really a criticism, actually, because this is another one that was really short. It was like an hour and 30, but, um, which is uh, a good thing because I rather, I don't want it to overstay its welcome, of course. Um, but yeah, it was like an hour and 30 when the movie ended. Nobody left the theater. We we're all just sitting there like, oh, that's the end. Okay. Like, not that it was like a bad thing. It was just like, oh, yeah, that's the ending. Um, it just, uh, yeah, I don't have much else to say about it, though. Um, it's been a while since I've seen that one. 
Um, Where did you land on that? Did you give it four? I think I gave it three and a half. Oh. Um, it was good, though. It was really good. Um, it's not one of my favorite of the year, unfortunately, as I was hoping it would be. Um, but it, it's probably up there. It's probably like in the top 20, top 10. Yeah, I think it's easily top 20. I don't know that it broaches my top 10. Yeah. Um, it was good. It was good. Yeah, I think I liked it a little more than you. I think I went four on it. But, um, yeah, I agree. The, 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 bet, the biggest strength of this movie was just how real it felt. Yeah. Um, granted, I've never been an eighth-grade eighth, eighth girl, um, but I can imagine that this is completely realistic. Uh, she was saying saying things that I didn't understand, so <laughs> uh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, Bo Burnham's directorial debut. I'm a big fan of Bo. I don't know how many people have um, listened to his stand-up, uh, particularly his last stand-up, Make Happy, which um, if you haven't, it's on Netflix and need to seek it out because it's a stroke of complete brilliance. Um, but I've been a big Bo fan for a number of years now. But having a uh, you know like a 20-something white comedian be able to write – an eighth grade girl this well like it's it's really astounding it's a a real testament to how talented he is or whatever i don't know what what kind of research went into to writing this but like i bought it i completely nailed i I thought he nailed it every review i've read i mean from people of the opposite sex say that he nailed it so i can i can go on what they're saying and saying it must be pretty accurate um I, i in opposition to what you said about the look of the film, I like well, – I don't want to say like. Um, I think he did the right thing with the look of the film because it looks very just plain, and that's basically what this girl is, and that's what her life is. Um, yeah, she's yeah. at she's at the crossroads of uh, – well, she's in eighth grade here, and she's going to be moving into high school, and she's kind of dealing with all the, these changes and everything, and – um, she's at that age where like kids just don't want anything to do with their parents. Um, yeah. She's also, uh, thank God YouTube wasn't a thing when I was in high school, but <laughs> she's like uh, vlogging and uh, some of it's uh, really, for me, kind of cringy, but I guess for someone that age, very relatable. It is um, a very cringy movie. To yeah. Best. And not cringy in a, a bad way. Cringy like it's it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I enjoyed it a lot. I thought, just like you said, like blind spotting, the biggest strength of it is it just it felt very real. Like I yeah. completely buy that these are real people, that they're in real situations. There's a situation later in this movie, without spoiling anything, that uh, gave me a near panic attack. Like it, it's terrifying. It's one of the scariest things I've seen in movies this year, um, and that's a testament to Bo's writing and um, the girls' acting. In that, like you genuinely, you genuinely care about these characters. Um, well, particularly this character. Um, yeah. Not to say it's a, a one-woman show, but she's the main character, and that you're with her most of the movie. Um, there are some ancillary characters which you, you get touched on a little bit, but it's it's mostly her, her her thing. Um, the dad was great. The, the dad was really great. I felt bad for the dad the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's maybe just me being old, <laughs> but I was like, why you got to be so mean to your dad? <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, the dad did a great job too. Um, last but not least, and then we'll move on to our top five. Um, the movie uh, we both watched really recently was uh, the movie called Searching. What did you think mm-hmm. of that? 
leave me a message or text me back. Hi, sweetheart. Um, just checking in because it looks like you already left for school this morning. Hey, Margot. Dad again. Why did you leave your laptop at home? I haven't been able to reach Margot. Wait, you can't find Margot? Study group only went till nine. She said it was going all night. No, she definitely left at nine. Authorities are asking anyone with information to please call the hotline or 911 immediately. Update me whenever you learn something. Did she mention anything unusual going on lately? We're not really that close. But you guys are friends. Kind of. She has friends, right? She keeps to herself a lot. She's quiet. I did see her eat lunch alone. On Thursday? Every day. Searching proves that you can make a movie about your screen, about through a computer. Good. Um, I know you haven't seen the Unfriended movies, but those are absolute terrible trash. Um, <laughs> those are horror movies, aren't they? Yeah. Okay. Um, they're really bad. Um, this actually, that in that case, the filmmaking. I always thought at first it was going to be a, that 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 making a movie like that would be is lazy. It's a lazy way to make a movie because the way they made Unfriended was, I mean, basically Unfriended for people who don't know, is a, a Skype conversation. These four or five people have a Skype conversation, and um, uh, basically stuff happens where they get possessed and stuff, and people go bye bye. Um, but um, the way they filmed that movie is everything is filmed in they each so each of the characters they have you know set up in a room through a, a webcam and they each film the the movie the whole movie straight through about three times with each character and instead they just edit the movie to where oh if this take is bad oh we'll just like make a glitch in their webcam and then they like transport across the room and they're doing like the same take and like it's just, it's the movie just kind of continues and it's just it's lazy filmmaking at its finest, and it's so dumb. So when I saw the trailer for this, I was like, "Oh my god, not another one of these goddamn movies that make it through the uh, computer screen." But this was so well done in like every aspect, and it was so well thought out. It it uses the the storytelling element of through the computer. It uses that as a benefit, and it uses that to progress the story along, and to find find out new information through the through the computer instead of you know just being late. I I loved it. I thought it was great. The movie is great, um, and it has some incredible usage of reincorporation, which if I talked about, uh, I would be spoiling the movie. But um, yeah, I mean, just everything about it was just so great. Um, everything present. It didn't feel fake at all. That was something that a lot of people gave Unfriended, uh, which I know you haven't seen, but a lot of people were like, "Oh, Unfriended is like a p- realistic portrayal of uh, how people you of like you know comp- of like computer in, in the internet in a film." And uh, no, it's not. It's fucking awful. This was great, and it, everything about it was so realistic. Like I said with the other ones, but this felt so realistic in its approach. Um. John Chu, I think is his name. Am I saying Cho? Cho, John Cho. Sorry, John Cho is fantastic in this movie. He's incredible. Um, everyone pretty much is. There was a couple moments where it was pretty. I felt like the movie was a bit over dramatic, and there's this one certain scene um, towards the end of the movie which I don't want to talk about. But basically, a character is revealing everything that is happening pretty much, and it just felt really 
cheesy and bad, in my opinion. But other than that, this was a pretty great film. And I, I, I was really moved by it, and I really liked it a lot. I very much enjoyed it. I was really surprised when this film was getting all the great reviews. I was like, wait a minute, you kidding me, this film? But no, it, I mean, it does everything the way it should in this flick. Yeah, um, you and I both agree on this. We both went four stars. Um, typically, when I see like a, a gimmicky type movie like this advertised, I just steer clear of it. Yeah. Um, I'm not so much on the gimmicks. Uh, they're usually, more often than not, turn out to be terrible. But I think this is the exception to that. Um, this is this is pretty pretty good. Um, so yeah, it, it's the entire movie. Uh, you're you're just seeing what's happening through the computer, and uh, on paper that sounds fairly awful to me. But they used it and incorporated it in pretty, actually, really smart ways. I thought um, the general plot summary is um, a, a man's daughter goes missing, and that's it. Yeah. He doesn't know where she's at, and basically um, he he helps the police, and he's. He knows he's he's good with the computer. Like he, basically, I mean, basically, I guess it would be like what any normal kid nowadays has grown up with, like Facebook stalking and everything. Yeah. He uses all kinds of different things in unique and interesting ways to find information. Um, basically, while the the police and detectives are doing their work, he's doing his own thing and trying to bring any information. Uh, he can bring up to them and basically just a mad frantic – I think it's like uh, – takes place over the span of three days or something, uh, just trying to, to find out what happened to his daughter. Um, John Cho I thought gave a really good performance. I thought I completely bought him as a, a worried dad, um, kind of like a, a – almost – not even almost. He's kind of like a dorky, overbearing type dad too. Um yeah. There is uh, a montage in the very beginning of the movie, which I thought was really um, touching and sad. I thought it was like super well done. And again, it's all through the confines of a computer. Um, and it's telling very quickly the backstory, everything you need to know up to the point where she's going to go missing. Um, so, and, and some of that even may or may not factor into what was what happened to her um there's this plot it's a bit of a roller coaster uh there's a lot there's a couple different plot twists in this movie where when they happened i just kind of like okay you lost me um kind of like groaned a little bit Mm -hmm. but then if you would just hold on for like five minutes their explanation and where they went from it. You'd be like, okay, I'm back in. I buy it. Um, so there were a couple well, while watching. I was just like, they almost lost me a couple times, but then they, they made the save. So with every little thing that, that could have been bad, I feel like they, they quickly not rectified it, but explained it in a way that made me suck me back in, made me believe what they were doing. And it's, it's a delicate thing because the ending of this movie could have been very, very, very bad. Yeah. Uh, but they pulled it off. I feel. Um, in most in most reviews I've read are, are really complimentary. Um, that's the only reason I've even sought this out is because seeing other reviews on Letterboxd, a lot of people really like this movie, and uh, it, it's definitely worth seeking out. It's one that 
I feel like not a lot of people have probably heard of. Um, I don't watch trailers. I try to avoid them as much as possible. So I don't know how popular this was, um, but I feel like I hadn't really heard of it very much until some of the Letterboxd reviews started coming out. Yeah. Um, but it's – it's. go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the trailer. I saw the trailer before a film, and I was like, ugh, that looks bad. But Yeah. To look at to look at the trailer, it's it, I I would agree that it'd be a movie where like I'm never gonna see that exactly, but, but definitely seek it out. It's not super long; it's 101 minutes. It goes by super quick. Um, the gimmicks that it employs with just the different uh, detective sleuthing through the computer—you're only seeing what's happening through the computer. It's it's they use it in really 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 smart ways, and um, it's a it's a it's a it's a mystery. It's a it's a cool little. Uh, Almost like a whodunit type thing. I'm I'm into true crime a lot. I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, and I follow like uh, stuff like that, documentaries and stuff. And it had that feel to it, so I appreciated it. So if you're into that even the slightest bit, I think you'll really like us. Um, but definitely, it's it's worth checking out. Um, so we'll stop talking about movies we have seen, and we'll try to uh, go through our top five list here. Um, every episode, we're going to try to have a top five list. Um, this one uh, that we chose for this first initial pilot episode is pretty broad. Uh, I think they're going to get a lot more refined and, and specific uh, from here on out. But just uh, as Reed and I kind of display who we are in terms of the films that we like and, and kind of how we – our mentality in rating films and, and what we like and what we dislike, I thought it would be a, a good top five to just throw out our top five personal films. And what I mean by that is movies that have had some sort of uh, personal specific impact or meaning on us. Now that might be like we were talking earlier. It might just be five-star movies for us. Um, I went about my list a little different. I don't know exactly what you did, Reed, but they're sentimental movies for us. They don't have to necessarily be great films. They don't even necessarily have to be good films in some cases. Like I said, there's movies that I love that aren't even technically really good. <laughs> so they're just personal movies. So we'll go through those, and you can explain why you love them or why they're they're personal to you. We'll try to go through it a little quicker than we did the last segment. That's um, going to be tough. Yeah. But uh, go ahead Mine are in no particular order. I don't know if you put yours in order or not, but you can uh, give me one, and then I'll give you one, and we'll just alternate. Um, let's see. So I guess I did list mine. Um, my number five is actually a very weird movie to be personal to a person, but I'm going to pick it anyways. Uh, Eyes Wide Shut, Stanley Kubrick, um, his very last film that he ever directed. Now, let me explain this one, people. Okay, if you've seen the film, you're like, Reed, this is a very weird film to be personal. But let me explain. Um, to me, this is actually, I don't know how other people would feel. Maybe AD is listening to this right now, and he can tell us. But uh, this is personally my favorite Stanley Kubrick film, um, which is very weird because, you know, a lot of the ones that people go to is Clockwork Orange, 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, Full Metal Jacket, The Shining. I mean, the guy is freaking one of the greatest of all time. But to me, Eyes Wide Shut um, is a very personal film for me. Not as it because of what really happens in the film, but what it did for me at a certain time. Kind of like how you were talking about earlier, how you rate your five-star films. 
and uh, mm-hmm. it has to it has to hit you at a certain point in your life and it has to do something for you and it's a it's personal for you for the time that it happened for me this was one of those films that um i did i didn't even really like this film at first it was so weird but um i guess like i'm not going to spoil the film but the the real question in the film if you've seen it is do the main two characters really love each other that they're it's Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Do they love each other? They're married, and do, the question is, do they love each other? And when I when I thought about that, it just really it, it hit me in such a way um, that I don't know why. When I was I got I don't know how old I was. So I was probably I probably saw this film only about three or four years ago. Um, but since then, when I saw that film, it's it's such a weird film for me to even explain why it's so personal to me. It hit me in such a way and it hit me at such a time that like, I don't know. I just love this film so much. Everything about it. It just, it's like one of those films that is so personal to me because I, it's something, it's kind of like when I watch any Stanley Kubrick film, it's just like, I'm never, I can never, even if I want to, like, I want to make films, but I know I'm never going to make a film as good as this. And it, when I watch it, I'm just, it's just, it's not even like a, because Stanley Kubrick's films, they're also, all the characters are cold and isolated. They're distant. They, they don't have much humanity in them, but at the same time they do. And it's, I, I just found this film fascinating and I love it so much. And it's so personal to me for ways that's hard for me to describe and why I love them. Um, so I'm going to kind of leave it at there. It's kind of a weird film to put at, uh, for one of my personal films, but it, whenever time I think about it, I just get taken to like this place of just like how, uh, uh, I can't, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop talking before cause we've already gone like two hours. So I'm going to pass it on to you for what your number five is. So, I don't have a particular list, like I told you uh, before we started recording. I have a, I just jotted down a list of like twelve, and I just, I'm gonna go off the cuff here. <laughs> uh, I, I could, I could have easily just picked from my five star reviews um, because, like I said earlier, for something to be five stars for me, it has to have a personal impact on me in some way. Um, but I'm, some of these might be five stars, um, but I'm avoiding the obvious hits. I'm not going to talk about Garden State. I'm not going to talk about Five Hundred Days of Summer. Um, just because I've addressed those. What's that? Whereas I will, because I have not talked about those. (laughs) Um, and this, this one I'm going to pick right now is one that's not even on my list. I just thought of it while you were talking, because I have a movie that's exactly like that, uh, in the same way it is for you as it is for me. That movie is Closer from 2004. Um, directed by Mike Nichols. I don't, I, I imagine a lot of people have not seen this movie. I don't think it was super popular and it's, it's just one of those movies. I don't know why it, it affected me the way it does. I does. I don't know. I haven't even seen it in years, but it's still something I think about a lot. Mm. And it's one of those movies. I don't know that I want to see it again just because it is super, super depressing. Um, (laughs) but it's one of those movies. It hit me at the exact right time in my life or wrong time in my life because this isn't a happy movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just, it had a profound impact on me. Uh, Directed by Mike Nichols, uh, director of The Graduates, um, some other movies regarding Henry, stuff like that. Um, But yeah, this movie's about four individuals. uh, You got uh, Julie Roberts, Jude Law, uh, Nicole Kidman, and and Clive Owen. And uh, Clive Owen, one of my all-time favorite actors. Guy does not get enough work. Um, Or... He gets enough work, and just most of it's in crappy movies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, 
it's just uh, it's just about these two um, relationships disintegrating, and there's a lot of adultery going on, and it just it's super depressing in seeing these people just like blatantly hurt each other. Um, I, I really love this film. I got to go back and I, someday I got to just get the nerve to go back and watch it again. But it is something that has profoundly stuck with me in positive and negative ways. Um, it also features one of my favorite all-time songs uh, by Damien Rice for this movie. Um, so yeah, we'll just keep nice and short. Uh, closer would be uh, I'm just randomly off the top of my head putting that at number five. It's not even on my list. So, all right. So my number four is uh, one of my favorite films of all time. All these are some of my favorite films of all time. It's hard for me not to pick some of my favorite films of all time because they are so personal to me and at a certain time of life and when they hit me. Um, number four is going to be uh, Rear Window by Alfred Hitchcock. came out in 1954. Um, man, this film is just so personal. So the, how I kind of came, came across from this film was uh, in my senior year of high school, so this was about four years ago, I um I uh, was in a class called History of Film, and basically what we do was we watch uh, uh, films uh, from history, of course, uh, but we watch films um, and we'd write an essay about it, uh, an essay more like a yeah I guess it's an essay like a two page essay about the film, uh, what it's about, what the film was trying to say. Um, I actually aced that class because I liked I actually liked t- doing the essays. And stuff. I wish I still had them, but um, one of these, we, you know, we watched like uh, the Gold Rush. Uh, I don't know if we, I don't think we watched Gone with the Wind. Thank God. Um, uh, Citizen Kane, Casablanca, you know the good stuff. And Rear Window was one of them. Um, now, what's funny about it was the class we'd actually watch behind the scenes like before we watched the actual film, which most of the time just spoiled the movie. I don't know why we watch behind the scenes. Watch it. I think we actually, we actually watched Lord of the Rings towards the end, the first one. Uh, and we actually watched the behind the scenes afterwards, which was actually a lot more interesting. Wish we did that throughout the whole thing. But we watched the behind the scenes the day before. Uh, and um, I remember watching the behind the scenes and going, I have to see this film now. So I went home uh, like a bad boy I am. I torrented it. Um, and I watched it and it's absolutely incredible. Uh, it's so personal to me because it, it's, I mean, it's one of my favorite flicks of all time. It's so personal because it's just so, it's just so well done on every level, even though it's only faults are the fact that it came out in 1956 or is it 56? I think it's 54, 19, yep. 1954 is the fact that it came out in 1954. And just also, I love the premise of it. Just how I love movies that, um, which is another one on this list actually, that where majority of the movie just takes place in one room. Like I love low. Now this isn't really a low budget movie, but I love low budget stuff that where most of the majority of the movie just takes place in one room. This one pretty much takes place in one room, except um, why am I forgetting his name? James Stewart just looks out the window. It's pretty much the the camera never really has only only leaves his uh, his apartment once throughout the whole film, um, and that's towards the end. 
Uh, everything is filmed from either going from outside going into his apartment or out from inside going out. And just the way this whole film is just so personal to me because just the way that it hit me in that time of life when I was uh, when I was seventeen years old. No, I wasn't seventeen. I was sixteen. I was in junior year, so uh, I was like fifteen, sixteen years old, trying to figure out what I loved in movies, and this was one of them. This film is incredible. It's fantastic. If you have not seen this or many of Alfred Hitchcock's work, you need to go see that right now. And if you haven't, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Uh, but yeah, this film is absolutely fantastic. Everything about it, I love. So yeah, that's that. I'm ashamed to say I've never seen it. It's one of those oh, blasphemous. <laughs> it's one of those blasphemous. I really got to rectify type movies. Um, Don't worry, my I number. Have those. So. <laughs> number four I'm going to go with a movie I just seen recently and that movie is Atonement um, I really just the the sole reason for me to watch this movie is just because I love the AD video that he made so much for it and uh, I was like yeah it's probably my favorite video of his um, it's uh, Atonement um, Anna Karenina and uh, Pride and Prejudice the uh, who directed those? It's, his name's slipping. He Let's... did the Darkest Hour, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Joe Wright. Yeah. Joe Wright. Is it yeah, on it's... the server? The AD video? It is not. I'll send it to you. <gasps> Wait, maybe. Um, maybe I did put it up. Because mm-hmm. I had to. I had to message him to get the video because it was blacklisted off of YouTube, and then it wasn't on the server. I had him send it to me, and I think I may have put it up. Um, I, don't, I don't see it. So Anyway, I'll send it to you. Okay. Um, okay. So the videos, the videos are, are just the, a trilogy of uh, epic historical romances by Joe Wright, the director. Um, so I watched this one because uh, this is the one I could find that particular night at work, and I had time to watch it. I was looking for Pride and Prejudice. Couldn't find it. Atonement happened to be on Netflix, so I watched that. And boy, did this movie wreck me. <laughs> um, so I'm not I'm not a big period piece guy. Never have been. Um, I, I usually find them a little too dry to hold my attention. This is not that though. Um, it held my attention completely. It has some really uh, kind of sly, funny humor to it, and. It has the single greatest one-take shot I've ever seen. I, I sent it to you immediately. I think while yep. I was still actively watching the movie, it's um, if I'm not mistaken, it's 15 to 20 minutes, just one steady take. And it goes all the way through the beach of, uh, I think it's Omaha Beach. Um, shortly, It's a Dunkirk, isn't it? Dunkirk, that's right, Dunkirk. Yeah. yeah, so it's on the beaches of Dunkirk um, in World War II, and it's just so much is going on in this one shot, and a lot of it is just like a uh, um, a steady walk-and-talk type shot, but there's so many visual cues that's going on in the background and things that are happening, and there's just so much movement to the camera and so much, so much, so many intricacies to this one shot that like it, it's it's the best I've ever seen. And Children of Men, which previously occupied that slot, which has a, a, a number of them as Ooh. well, that's even right up there. Than, even better than Children of Men? I put this above Children of Men, yeah. Um, 
Nothing, nothing against Children of Men. I love Children of Men, and those one takes are incredible. Yeah, those one takes are absolutely fantastic. But, I need to see the Atomic, but I have seen the one you're talking about. That one take is pretty impressive. Yeah, the, just the sheer amount of what's going on in this shot is just it blew my mind. Yeah. And then um, the ending, uh, and I obviously I'm not going to spoil it for anyone. I believe this movie's still on Netflix, and you should check it out. The ending completely wrecked me. It is not something I saw coming. It is not something I was even expecting, and it's just one of those. Just I hate to compare it to the Sixth Sense because it's it it, it doesn't hold water. But in the terms of like, I feel like Sixth Sense is kind of like a meme at this point with the ending. But like, <laughs> if you if you go to two thousand and and that ending when that movie was fresh and no and people didn't know that ending like that was like a mind blowing thing. And that's I got that same feeling from this movie. Like I. I still think about it to this day. I had it at four and a half stars, and I changed it like a few days later to a, to a solid five. It's one of those movies. The more I thought about, it, I just I couldn't deny it, and it 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 got that elusive five star treatment from me. I I just I love this movie so much. The performances, um, just the direction. The direction was fantastic in this. On top of that, that amazing one take. And just the story, just everything about it just coalesced into this um, beautiful, sometimes sad, amazing film. And uh, so, yeah, it had a big impact on me. I imagine – I mean this is something I just watched uh, maybe two months ago, so it's still pretty fresh for me. So in terms of like a a personal impact, um, I can only speak towards what – the time that's elapsed between when I watched this a few months ago and now. And um, – that effect is it just it's it's been in my head ever since I watched it. I've been on read to to watch it because you said you've never seen it. So it's still on um, Netflix. I believe so. Yes. Um, so this is something that I, I feel like everyone should watch. It's just a, just a really beautiful film. Um, so yeah, that's my my number four is Atonement. All right. So my number three is another obviously incredibly personal film. This was so tough to do just rank them and even bring it down to these five but number three could possibly be number one same with number two and number one of course they all could be my number one but i mean like i kind of i just kind of rank them in this way uh my number three is fantastic mr fox um man this film whoo so to bring it back about 2009 i wonder whenever this movie yeah 2009 this movie came out i went to my grandparents house uh, and we did a double feature, actually. We watched it at their house. Uh, it was uh, We watched The Blind Side. I uh, don't know if anyone remembers <laughs> that with Sandra Bullock. Uh, I remember liking it at the time. Um, I'm sure if I watch it now, it wouldn't be that good. I um, saw it on a movie, f- on an airplane flight. <laughs> oh, really? That's funny. Yeah. Uh, but I remember seeing that and everyone like, oh, that's such a good movie. Um, <laughs> and uh, But then I was like, yeah, that's good, whatever. And then I watched Fantastic Mr. Fox was the second film. And I absolutely fell in love. Um, I made my grandparents, I think they rented it from either a blockbuster or like a family video or something back when that existed. And uh, I made them buy it for me um, because of how much I loved it. And uh, they lived an hour away at the time. So every time, and they decided to keep it. So every time I went to my grandparents' house, which I'd say probably uh, like once every three, four months, something like that, maybe. Maybe even more than that. But every time, 
I would see I would watch Fantastic Mr. Fox at least once because they had this big TV that that, that uh, at the time was huge. It was like a fifty inch or whatever. I can't remember the exact TV, but I was like, I gotta watch I gotta watch Fantastic Mr. Fox. It's an absolute incredible film, and I freaking I love it so much. First off, as a kid, this was another one that I'm gonna show my kids growing up. Uh, it, it teaches you so much just about about everything. I mean, this film is so incredible. I love it. I have a poster of it actually right now that I'm looking at. I even it's the one Criterion Collection movie I'm, I bought because I knew as soon as I saw that as you told me it was a Criterion Collection, I'm like, I gotta get it. Like it's the one I have to get out of if there's any movie I want, it's this one. Uh, it's just such an incredible film. Uh, to me, it's Wes Anderson's best film. I know that's very debatable for amongst people. I do love to me. It's this and Grand Budapest, um, but Fantastic Mr. Fox to me is just fantastic. Um, from everything to it, um, from they actually had for the people recording voiceover like George Clooney and all of them. They actually had them do it outside and in conditions that they, their characters were in. So if they were driving around in a motorcycle, they were actually I believe they were actually on a motorcycle. Uh, driving around and actually recording their voices, um, and just the animation, the, st- the stop o- stop motion animation is a thing in the past. It is lost. There, like obviously, you know, with Isle of Dogs, uh, this year with Wes Anderson again coming back to it. Other than that, though, I mean, we had Kubo, and like there, it's such a lost art form that it's just so endearing and work, can work so well. The music, the story, it teaches kids about how to be happy of where you are and be happy of what you have. I mean, it's just, it's such a fantastic, fantastic film. Everything about it. I love it. I rewatched it recently on my Criterion and I fell in love. I started like tearing up because it just reminded me of how much I love this film. Honestly, this could be my favorite film of all time. Uh, but um, currently it's not. But I mean, it's so close. It probably should be but i don't know it's so great i love it so much if you you know a lot of people say i love depressing movies and i do i do love a good depressing <laughs> movie but this is not depressing i mean the part of it is but really it's not it's really happy and lovely and sweet movie so uh yeah if you have not seen fantastic mr fox um we are gonna tussle people That's <laughs> welcome to the dark side of loving cheerful movies uh number three i'm gonna go with an, an odd choice here um i put it on my my overall group list in here and looking at it it just might be fun to talk about um movie that had a big impact on me actually spider-man 2 oh so uh so yeah this probably doesn't belong with all the other choices between reed and i because it's a comic book movie but it's uh, a comic book movie that came out in 2004 and it's still to this day in my opinion, the greatest comic book movie of all time, maybe um, this and the Dark Knight, both on par with each other. Um, but yeah, uh, Spider-Man 2. I'm sure, I would hope everyone's seen this at this point. It's definitely the best Spider-Man movie that's ever been put out. Um, yeah. And this movie, i got to revisit. I've been meaning to for a while. It's another one. I, I've, I have all the Spider-Man movies on 4K now. Um and this is one I'm in particular like want, really wanting to go back and revisit. Uh, it just had like a profound impact on me when I w- watched it. And I watched it as a much younger man. I was like 19 at the time, maybe 18. 
and just that whole that whole I guess it's a theme that runs through all the Spider-Man movies, but in particular, like they knocked it out of the park in this one. Just the the theme of anyone can be a hero, and um, this movie in particular deals with Spider-Man uh, giving up the mantle of Spider-Man, not wanting to be Spider-Man anymore because of the cost. It's costing his relationships. His him drives a wedge between him, he and his best friend, and it's keeping him away from the girl that he loves and it's just causing all these problems and he can't be Peter Parker and he can't have the life that he wants and be Spider-Man. And, um, it's just really, really super effective. And I think part of the reason why it's so effective is in a lesser movie, i.e. other Spider-Man movies, um, if they were to do this, he would stop being Spider-Man for a short amount of time and then, you know, make the comeback or whatever. In this one, in a lot of this movie, he's not Spider-Man. Uh, Sam Raimi did a perfect job with this. He's not Spider-Man. And by the time he does make his big comeback as Spider-Man, they've done such a good job of him not being Spider-Man for so long that it's an actual, like, kind of jump out of your seat, like, yes, pump your fist in the air type moment. Um, on top of that, the emotional, the motion, emotions in this movie are, like, an all-time peak for the Spider-Man franchise. Um I always go back though. The the memorable stuff with Doc Ock is, of course. I mean, that's I always think of that right away. But the the one little scene I always think of is uh, Aunt May's little speech. I don't know how many people would remember that. She's like um, they're doing a yard sale with like a, her and a little boy or something, and Peter walks up to her, and she basically tells him without telling him that she knows and that he needs to help people and that anyone can be a hero and basically that he needs to, he needs to get on it. Um, and she says all, all in a way of just like a short little monologue. She obviously doesn't say, I know that you're Spider-Man, but you can tell. And I, I felt like that little performance, I don't even know that actress's name, uh, but she did a marvelous job. She's my favorite Aunt May. Um, to date, um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that that little scene was just—I uh, love that. I still—I I watched it again the other night. I, I wasn't even watching Spider-Man Two. I just happened to YouTube. I just wanted to see that one little scene where she's talking, and uh, it's still as powerful now as it was back then. And on top of that, you—I mean—you got the awesome fight stuff with Doc Ock, who, in my opinion, is still the best Spider-Man villain in any of the movies. Um, you see his transformation from being like a good decent smart man to what he becomes and then you get the the same <clears throat> excuse me you get the sam raimi horror elements with the the octopus the limbs and everything like each one he gives they're inanimate objects but he gives them personalities which is was a really unique twist um but yeah the just the per- personally just the whole theme of like anyone could be a hero um it just uh, – it, it sounds cheesy, but like the, the not giving up aspects of that film had a big impact on me at that time. And still to this day, I, like I said, I, I think it's the best superhero movie there is. Um, so yeah, Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2. What's the second best villain in Spider-Man history? S- Spider-Man villain? Yeah. Uh, in the movies? Sure. Yeah, in the movies. The movies or the comics? Oh, the movies. The movies, um, I would say Vulture. I agree. From Homecoming. I was, was going to say the same thing, but I thought you were going to go with something else. But that no. Um, Sandman was all right. Venom was awful. 
Uh, Green Goblin, he was fine. I hated the way he looked. And uh, Electro was awful. And Lizard was, eh, he was okay, well, Green, I guess. But... Green Goblin, yeah, the Amazing, we're not going to talk about the Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> That's just bad. Um, okay, so are we number two? Yeah. Number two? Yeah. Uh, my number two um, is Saw, the first Saw. Um, and let me tell you I'm why. glad I'm not the one to pick a genre picture here. Would you what? Pick a genre picture. Oh, pick a Anyways, uh, yeah, my number two is Saw because this is why. So for the longest time, I was scared of Saw. <laughs> Growing up, I heard about <laughs> Saw. I mean, uh, I heard that people got their bones, they got chopped off, they were tortured. That just uh, doesn't sound like a good time to me uh, as a kid, especially as a kid. I was incredibly terrified of this movie. Um, and I remember I it, it'd be on like the sci-fi channel or some bullshit like that, like one of those channels. And I'd be like, every time I go by it, I like quickly change to it to see what happened and then somebody would be like in a trap and I'd be like ah oh god and they'd scare it. like I'd just be terrified of it and so for the longest time this movie scared me and what it was about um, and then I think I was like I don't know how old I was I, I was like probably like a freshman I had no idea about the twist or anything about in this movie um, you want to talk about one of the greatest twists with Sixth Sense this one but uh, I remember I watched it and I was like, oh, my God, this is just so different than I ex- originally expected to be. And I love Saw so much. Um, every time I tell people that the first Saw is one of my favorite movies of all time, they go, what the hell? You like that torture porn shit? And I'm like, no, I, it, the first one's not like that. It's not like that yet. Just go to the just wait a little bit, though. Not the not the sequels. The sequels are all terrible. But the first one, I love it so much. So. To me, what I think I love about it so much is that the film, first off, the film wasn't, they didn't even have a million dollars, first off, which for a film is incredibly low. They shot the film in 18 days, which is two and a half weeks, which is incredible. The fact that, like, it took two and a half weeks to make this film. And to me, it's just the fact that they did that and told, like, not a perfect story, but what I think I love about it so much is that it's really just James Wan and Lee Whannell got together, two guys. They wrote this script about a about a serial killer, pretty much, um, and they made a, a quick movie for what they thought was going to be nothing, uh, and just released it. And it became this iconic thing that everyone knows about Saw. Everyone has probably everyone knows you know you want to play a game like they know the meme, everything about it. It's just perfect. I love, like, like I mentioned earlier with Rear Window, I love movies that take place in one setting, for example. Uh, and this is, like, the majority of the film takes place in one thing. And that was their crutch. They're like, well, we don't have a budget, so we have to have the movie be in one film, in one room. So how are we going to tell the story of how these two guys got chained to a wall? And it's all, it's not really disgusting per se. A lot of the violence that in the movie, like that's what a lot of people think of as saw, right? They think of the traps, they think of the violence. And this saw and and whereas this one it doesn't show the violence whereas the sequels, like for example, when 
Carrie always chops off or you know saws his foot off. Everyone, everyone has either seen or know about this movie by now, so I don't care. Uh, where he chops his foot off, they don't. They only show one shot, and it's a brief shot, maybe for like only a couple seconds. The rest they don't show it at all. It's all up all of the all of the brutal violence in the movie which is not much of it, but all of that does happen, is all left up to the imagination, which to me is more scarier than we're in the sequels when they obviously show uh, people's limbs getting blown off and whatnot. But the original Saw, to me, is perfect. I love it so much. It's been one of my favorite films since the get-go, since I saw it. And thankfully, I had no idea about the twist ending, which people don't know. Uh, don't listen, I guess. Uh, if you don't know, how the hell do you not know? It's like one of the most iconic movie moments, uh, period. But with with the music that builds up towards it and when it happens, I love it. I even showed my mother this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I took my I took my mother to this movie. They they, they re-released this film uh, in 2014, four years ago, for the 10-year anniversary on Halloween Day. Uh, and it would be, or like, yeah, it was like Halloween day because Halloween was on a Friday. And they released it for like a week or something like that, or a weekend. And I I took my mother to go see it. I go, Mom, you're going to see this movie? I don't care. It's Halloween. We're going. And she liked it. She liked the movie, people. It's not all blood and guts and whatnot. It's an actual movie with actual story. There's some really, now, is it perfect film? It's probably my five-star, one of my five-star films that I don't think is perfect in every way. Uh, for example, some of the acting. Uh, at one point, Carrie Elway just goes, fuck this shit. And it's so, <laughs> and it's so hilariously bad, but it's so, I love it so much. Uh, that is one of them. There's a lot of like, and like Lee Wanell does has some really poor dialogue delivery at some points, but he was only in the film because they could literally not get anyone else in the film. The fact that they got uh, Danny Glover uh, to even be in the movie is pretty incredible, but I love this movie. Every Halloween I watch it. Uh, I've, I've seen it like twice this year. I watch it at least two or three times a year. Uh, Halloween is like in a couple days, so I'm going to watch this film. Uh, probably either tomorrow or whenever, probably sometime before then. So, uh, Saw, it's a great film, people, even if it's dumb. <laughs> I think, I feel like that's one of those movies that was brilliant when it came out, but the, each subsequent film kind of tarnished oh my everyone gosh. in, in their mind what the original Saw was. Yeah. Well, like I, I, when I watched the original Saw, like, like, you know, if you've seen the sequels, <laughs> if you've seen the sequels, you know how dumb and stupid this plot is, and how much they change and mm-hmm. fuck with the original stuff. In the first I've seen movie. it. I've seen every one of them. Yeah, so you know. Whereas I, when I watch the first one, I don't watch it like, like for example, they like in future Saw films, they'll show how, like who was there when they built this trap or something like the main trap. And mm-hmm. when I watch the original Saw, I don't think about that at all. I just think of the original Saw as its own movie. That's probably smarter. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, uh, the sequels can go fuck themselves. But yeah. <laughs> uh, so my number... Wait, wait, two? Two. Two more to pick from the list here. It's getting kind of tough. I'm going to go with Adventureland. Um, oh. I, I may have talked about this in the past, but this was an important film for me. 2009. Um, this is one of the, the most classic examples of a movie that is marketed in the exact wrong way. Uh, I don't know if anyone remembers back that far, but if if you go and look for Adventureland and type in Adventureland trailer, you're going to see 
something that looks like the next Judd Apatow comedy. Oh, and that's yeah. exactly what this is not. Um, so uh, for for those who don't know, I'm, I'm from Pittsburgh. Uh, been from Pittsburgh almost my entire life. And Adventureland was filmed in Pittsburgh. It was filmed at Kennywood Park, which is a park that I go to every single year, um, have since I was little. So that in that in and of itself, I mean, right away it's personal because it's I, I'm watching on the big screen in the theater like these places that I've been and these these things that have been a big part of my youth and everything. Um, but on top of that, it had a really just a really great coming of age, one of the best coming of age modern coming of age movies there is. Um, Jesse Eisenberg, I think this is my first experience. Um, to him and his acting, it was either this or Zombieland, but I think they were both 2009 movies. And then uh, Kristen Stewart, the first time you could really see kind of her acting chops, because before that she was just the Twilight girl. Um, and then you got Ryan Reynolds in supporting a supporting role. You got um, some really funny comedic actors, Bill Hader, Kristen Wiig, um, Martin Starr. All these people are just super funny, and this is a really funny movie, but it's not like an Apatow film because it's very much centered on the relationships of these people and um, you know, they're, how, how they coalesce while working at this uh, crappy summer job. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like a, a snapshot at a specific time in, uh, in Jesse Eisenberg's life. He's just back from college, and he needs to uh, save up some money. Uh, but that's all I'll say about it. Uh, the plot, just really good. Uh, you check it out. I'll, I'll, I'll be real short. Uh, it, it's personal for me in just the, the thematic elements that it contains. In um, I was I was that kind of I was like that that age when I saw these characters on the big screens. So I was kind of going through a lot of similar stuff. And then just the the ability to see a place that I love like Kennywood on the big screen in a movie being enjoyed by all kind of people was a, a really neat experience. And now every year when I go back to Kennywood, I still like when I pass certain areas, I just, I think about the movie and the scenes that took place there and everything. So, uh, yeah, Adventureland would be my number two. All right. So my number one is also my current favorite film of all time. And that is the social network. Um, so I remember seeing the social, it's funny cause, uh, I had a Facebook posting, uh, in my memories from eight years ago. Uh, I think it was earlier this month. Let me see. It was like October 3rd or something like that. Um, October 1st, excuse me, uh, when this movie came out and, uh, back then, uh, on Facebook when I was, uh, it was eight years ago. So I was 13. I'd post like, uh, going to this tonight going to whatever tonight. And the post that I made was going to see the social network tonight. Uh, and it really reminisced and made me think, wow, I saw that movie eight years ago in the theater. Um, I love this movie so much. It's so personal to me. It made me really realize how much I love film, how much I love movies. Uh, it made me really, it also made me really study film in a way that I never did before. Um, and, and as far as just film making elements to the film, where as far as, you know, the camera, cinematography, and obviously acting, 
the score. God, the score. I just listen to the score like all the time, pretty much. It's in my constant rotation of playlist. Uh, it's just so incredible. It's one of the best. It's the, my favorite film score of all time, and it's one of the best. Um, yeah, I don't have much else to say that um, if you have not seen this film, it, it's David Fincher at his best, in my opinion. It's the best film he's ever made. He's one of my favorite directors, if not my favorite. Um, the guy is incredible. He made one of my favorite films. For, it, 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 everything about this film, in my opinion, is perfect. From the pacing to the cinematography to the acting. It's Jesse Eisenberg's best role, as you mentioned, uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, it, it, to me, it's his best role. I don't think he'll ever do better than this, um, mainly because he just kind of fits Mark Zuckerberg. When I think of Mark Zuckerberg, I don't even think of the actual Mark Zuckerberg. I think of Jesse <laughs> I think of Jesse Eisenberg. Um, but he he's perfect. Andrew Garfield, my boy. I love Andrew Garfield so much. I can't wait to see Under the Silver Lake whenever they decide to freaking release it. But Andrew Garfield is one of my favorite actors, and I don't feel like he gets uh, enough praise for his greatness. Um, but he, this is his best role here in The Social Network. He was snubbed uh, in the Oscars, which has still pissed me off. It even pissed me off back then when I didn't really care. But uh, he was not nominated for Best Supporting Actor, which I really shouldn't care about the Oscars, but whatever. Uh, was not nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He should have been because he is incredible in this movie, and he delivers one of my favorite scenes of all time towards the end. Uh, like This whole movie is just so meticulous and perfect in every single way. I love it so much. It's so much fun to watch. I watch it like every every now and then. I just turn it on and it's something that I watch because I just love it so much uh, this and Fantastic Mr. Fox are like on this list are probably the two most most watched that I've seen on this list and why it's so personal uh, like I said it was one of the reasons why I fell in love with uh, filmmaking and kind of wanted to you know kind of it just made me fell in love with it so much so that's all I'll say but yeah yeah that was a that was a big one for me too um in particular, it made me realize that anything written by Aaron Sorkin is now a necessity for me to watch. <laughs> Have you um, seen The West Wing by chance? I haven't. It's in my queue. Yeah, I. Uh, it's a show that I binge-watched the first season a while ago. The problem is the each episode is 40 minutes long. And each season is twenty episodes. Yeah. So it's there's a, very, a lot of seasons. Yeah, but it's so it's so much fun to watch just from character interaction. It's very much filmed in like how uh, an old TV show would, with um, them walking around, um, and it, it looks very much like a TV show. And other than that, there's not much to it. But the, its show is so well written, and the characters are just so, uh, just so well act, acted to that it's hard not to like and watch. I'm like at the third season. Um, I keep on debating if I want to watch it sometimes, and then I don't, which is kind of my fault. It's a it's a good show. I haven't watched The Newsroom, though. Yeah, I just I finished The Newsroom like a month or two ago. Um, but that's like the, a Sorkin homework. I don't really necessarily care what the plot of a movie is because I'm going to listen to Sorkin's characters talk to each other. And oh, that's yeah. basically it. <laughs> um now, thank great movies like Social Network obviously have more 
going on for it. Um, it it's the perfect it, thing because you have, like I said, Fincher you have, and you have Fincher. You have all these incredible actors. You have Trent Reznor and Atticus yeah. Ross doing the incredible score. It's just like everything perfect came together with this film, in my opinion. Yeah, I love that movie. I still, I, don't, I wouldn't rate it as Fincher's best, but that's just because of how much I love Zodiac. Um, oh, but it's love, it's right up there. Zodiac is his most underrated. Yeah, I love Zodiac so much too. Only issue um, is that it's two hours and fifty minutes, and there's no ending, pretty much. Which I, which is what I like about it. But I understand why people wouldn't. Yeah. Like about it. So. Well, there's no ending in real life either. <laughs> Bingo. That's true. That's true. Um. So yeah, I was I was kind of uh really paying attention to your social network talk there, and I forgot to pick one for my number one. <laughs> so. Um, looking at my list here, the one that immediately pops out, there's a number that I could go through here, but I'm just going to stick with this one. Um, and it's, uh, the perks of being a wallflower, the movie from, uh, 2012, 2011, somewhere in there. And, uh, I'm not a book person. Like I've never been much of a reader, uh, unless you count movie reviews, I guess. <laughs> like I read, I read a lot of stuff online, but like to buy a book and read it, I just, I, I don't really do that. Um, so I never read the book prior to seeing this movie. Uh, but man, did this movie blow me away. Uh, it was my favorite movie that year. <clears throat> the performance is going back and watching it. I just, it, there's so much to love here. And the, the main theme of it for me, like hitting real close to home personally is the main character and just basically, his struggle to overcome his past stuff that's happened to him in the, his past. And there's a, there's a really powerful message in there. I don't want to ruin it because if you're watching the film, I don't, I can't speak towards the book, but if you're watching the film, you're not clued into what that stuff is until towards the end of the movie. Um, but I related to his character a lot, not in that I shared that type of trauma. Um, but I've had traumatic things happen in the past, and a lot of times, just speaking in generalities, it's tough to move past that. Um, it's a difficult thing to pick up your life and just kind of keep moving forward. So that was the biggest takeaway in this movie for me. On top of it just being, I, I feel, a fantastic movie. Again, um, I didn't realize I did this, but inadvertently, now that I'm talking, filmed in Pittsburgh, so a lot of there's a lot of landmarks in this movie there. I just, I know I, I drive past them. I, I see them. Um, so that's always really cool for me. Um, the characters are just really beautiful in this film. Uh, speaking towards the main three, um, drawing a blank, Emma, Emma Watson's character, uh, Charlie, the main character in the, the guy who plays flash. Now I forget his name, drawing a blank, uh, Adam something. Um, Anyway, just yeah, it's it's really just a really beautiful film. It's it's a it makes me feel old to say it's like a, a period piece because it's not like 1800s or something, but it is set in the past and like I believe it's in, set in the 80s, and everything about it just felt very much that time period. Uh, and you, you throw in an awesome soundtrack, it's always gonna help a movie and this movie has an awesome soundtrack uh completely appropriate for the time period so yeah perks of being a wallflower absolutely floored me uh i went into this movie blind didn't know anything about the plot i just liked the trailer a lot and uh and nothing had prepared me for what 
what the ending would be in particular finding out what happened to make the main character that way um so yeah it, it was really profound it was really um really sad but also like a really uh, i don't know if triumphant's the word but a really hopeful movie um not everything ends super cleanly but things do end on a uh i guess an up note uh you see him continuing on and it's uh just basically like he's he's picking up his piece, picking up the pieces again even though he's gone through all this stuff he's he's still moving on so that was uh that was a really big movie for me so that's my top 5 list uh number 1 perks of being a wallflower nice you did that in cinema 10 right i did yes mm. that was um one of my favorite pieces that i've ever done yeah. <clears throat> so yeah um so that's the show. That's all we have planned. Um, we have to be at least close to the two-hour mark at this point, so thankfully we, we didn't play we, anything else. I think we passed it. Hold on. Two, sure 217. Awesome. <laughs> so if you're still with us, thank you for listening. God bless you. Uh, yeah, so uh, uh, Reed and I are going to keep doing these, I think. Um, not that we think we'll have like a super uh, a lot of listeners or anything. It's just fun for us both to get on and talk about movies because it's what we do anyway. Um, minus... We're going to watch them anyway, so... Yeah, might as well talk about them. Um, between here and the next episode, um, we might switch the format up a little bit because we had talked about doing like a, um, a really super in-depth review of like one movie per episode where we take turns picking the movie. Um, nice. I have a movie planned if we ever do that, so... Okay, what what movie? Well, hold on. Let me make sure you haven't seen it. <laughs> you, probably, <laughs> you probably haven't. I'm I'm betting you haven't. Um, but it's called Funny Games. I have it? not. No, okay, I've heard of good. it. Well, uh, so there's two versions of this film. Uh, there's one version uh, from because it's by the same director, same Michelle. Michelle, I don't even want to butcher his last name, so I'm not going to. He's a foreign film. Uh, probably the one you might may have heard of him from the most. Um, he's done some pretty incredible films. I haven't seen all of them, but he did Amour, which came out in 2012, which is a foreign film. Um, I think I believe it's French. I believe I don't want to don't want to get that wrong because I remember I one time said something was Japanese and AD was like, no, it's a Korean film. <laughs> God damn it! But that movie was actually nominated for Best Picture as long as Best Foreign Film in the Oscars. But he did an original film um, in 1997 uh, called Funny Games, which is uh, whatever language that was. I don't want to butcher that one, but uh, I forget what country and what um, language that was. But then he actually remade his own film in English 10 years later, shot by shot, pretty much the same. Um, I have not seen the form, but the one I want to, I would do is uh, 2007 uh, called Funny Games. Um, it stars uh, Naomi Watts, Tim Roth, um, and so uh, that's pretty much it. It's a uh, it's a pretty interesting film that I would like to know what you thought of since you didn't like uh, the killing of sacred deer. Although it's very different than the killing of sacred deer. So. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. we can watch that and maybe maybe uh, since we went so long on this episode, maybe we'll, we can do two movies. Because sure. I can't imagine us talking about one movie for two hours. No, so can, maybe uh, we'll, we'll each pick an episode or pick a uh, a movie per episode. Yeah. And each then, one uh, of us can pick one and we'll watch it and give a review. All that stuff. Any movies you're looking forward to? Oh. Uh, that you haven't seen? Yeah. Um, um, uh, dang it. I forgot the name. Hold on. Let me pull up my watch list. <laughs> That's what I'm doing right now. I, I haven't. Know. 
I, I've said that I've told you this a couple times. I haven't been to the movies since the last Mission Impossible, which is super rare for me. Like for me to miss even going to the movies for like two weeks is pretty rare. But I've, I can't remember a time where I've taken this much time away from the movie theater. So it's really starting to like nag at me. Um, the uh, the one movie that came in right right up to my head right away when you asked is Bad Times at the El Royale. I haven't seen yeah. that. It's out of theaters now, so I missed my opportunity. Yeah, they um, had a I was gonna see that this week or before I left, but then I got sick so I couldn't watch it. But um yeah, I looked at the showings. They only had like one showing and it was like either a nine fifty at one theater or three PM. I'm like, okay, that's not gonna work. So yeah, that's one I want to see too. By the guy uh forgot his name, but he did Cabin in the Woods which Yeah, um, Drew Goddard. Drew Goddard. That's the same Drew Goddard. Yeah, so. so, um, and the other one, I've been looking forward to this one for months now. I don't even know when it's coming out, and I don't even really hear much about it. But, um, Welcome to Marwin. The trailer just blew me away. Um, Welcome to what was it called? Marwin, M-A-R-W-N. It stars Steve Carell, who is already like one oh, of my favorite actors. Is that the where he's um, playing with the? Um, he makes for, the models. Yeah, yeah. and that's. By the guy who did Forrest Gump, Robert Zimmerman, I think is his name. Zemeckis. Zemeckis. Yep, there we go. Yeah, Robert so um, the trailer like blew me away, and it just looks very inventive and very – it just looks very much like I, I guess what they say on the board, quote-unquote, a beach film. But like it's it just looks like something that's going to – that I'm really going to love. So I'm anxiously waiting that. At, at first I thought you said beach instead of beach, <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, what's a beach film? But no, yeah, that that looks interesting. Um, I haven't been a fan of um, Zemeckis. Not too much of his films. I enjoy Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump's a classic. It's not perfect, but... Um, Back to the film, Future? Film I grew up with. Back to the Future, too. I was going to mention Back Cast to the Future. Castaway? Do like Back to the Future, Castaway. But uh, I'm talking about recently. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of uh, the one, The Walk, pretty much, that he did. Um, but who knows? Interested to see what he does there. I'm just um, um I, I I mean I I love everything I, I saw in the trailer. It looks like an inventive movie, but I'm just such a fan of Steve Carell, and obviously a lot of this has to do yeah. with The Office. But he had uh two years ago a movie called The Big Short, which I feel like is a movie that no one talks about, but it's a legitimate five star for me, and I love it so much. And he is brilliant in that movie. You love that movie, eh? I love it. I think it's I think it's good. I think I give it like three and a half. Oh, it's so much um, better than that. I I don't I don't know. I know that uh I don't know. I just I don't I don't know if I liked how the how it was filmed. I think the documentary style. Normally I like that. I'm actually a component of it, but I don't know. It just kind of bugged me. Maybe I need I need to rewatch it. I need to rewatch it. You do. That's probably it. Um uh you're my boy. So I actually got a couple. I got a good amount that I really want to but I want to mention for people who don't know. Uh recently obviously mid 90s Jonah Hill's movie came out. Um, this weekend, I really want to see the sister brothers. Um, yeah, that's on my list as well. Yeah, it's playing here. I don't know how long, much longer it's gonna be playing here though, so I might miss it. Um, because I was gonna see it, but of course I got sick. Uh, that's one. Uh, it, the 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 tra- I saw the trailer uh, on accident, and it, it looked really happy. It's supposedly really depressing. So yeah, Joaquin Phoenix is in it. Joaquin Phoenix is in it though. Uh, so it's Jake Gyllenhaal, um, John C. Riley, John C. Riley, yeah. And speaking of uh, Blade Runner, Rutger Hauer's in it. Yeah, there you go. Um, so yeah, that sh- looks good. Um, uh, oh, your boy, your boy, Yorgos Lanthimos. Oh no, he has a film coming out with Emma Stone. 
which is uh, actually looks very interesting. So that's film uh, takes place. Uh, I forget what year it is. Uh, 18th century England, and it's uh, they film the whole movie on these really wide angle lenses and uh, all natural light too. So will there be uh, emotion in this movie, or is everybody going to talk like they're drifting into a coma? <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. I haven't seen. I, I know there's a trailer. I didn't see it, of course. Um, who? Uh, oh, Suspiria. Yes. So uh, this comes out next Friday. Uh, uh, it's a remake of one, and it's directed by the guy who did uh, Call Me By Your Name. So I'm pretty excited by that. Uh, that comes out next week. It's a horror film. Should look good. Um, if Beale Street Could Talk is a Barry Jenkins who did Moonlight. He has a film coming out. A lot of great stuff. The Coen Brothers have a movie, I guess, on Netflix, which is something, which surprised me. And then Alfonso Cuaron, uh, my boy, Roma, comes out on Netflix later this year. So some good, good great stuff. I was looking forward to Bohemian Rhapsody until the reviews started coming out. Yeah, everyone's like, I can't remember his name. Oh, my God. Uh, Rami Malek. Everyone's like, yeah, he's great. But everyone else is. Whatever. I still need to watch um, iRobot. Or not iRobot. What's it called? (laughs) I'm blanking on names right now. Um, The USA show that he's on. Oh, Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot. I called it iRobot. No, that's (laughs) That's the Will Smith movie. That's the Will Smith movie. That's really not good. Uh, But yeah. Mr. Robot is one of my favorite television shows. It's fantastic. Yeah, I need to to watch that. I need to get on that. People, it it looks pretty great. But yeah, so uh, we'll end the show here. Um, If anybody hops on Letterboxd and wants to follow... Reed or I wants to be friends. I'm BJ Smith Photo. If you just search that, I'll come up. Reed is me as Reed. He'll he'll pop up as well. Both of us are, um, I'd say, really pretty fairly active on it. So I think we're both pretty interesting follows. Whenever, um, we, whenever we see movies. Yeah. And I, I work at a sleep center where everyone sleeps, so I see movies almost every night. <laughs> you lucky uh, man. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, um, we'll call it there. Thanks for joining us if you're still listening, and uh, hope you uh, stick along stick along with us for whatever we have coming in the future. Obviously, we have another show out in a few weeks, and then um, we're all, we're all kind of just marching towards the big year-end episode where we put together our t- top ten lists, which are always a little bit stressful. But yeah, thankfully, I've been uh, planning ahead for this moment <laughs> this whole year. And I put every movie I've seen already in a list that I just add to. So your boy's thinking ahead. <laughs> not not beige, So No. I'll just uh I'm pretty sure you can narrow your search. Like I, I just you go through the diary and just see like filter oh, yeah. it by twenty eighteen movies. I just like to do it because then you know, I just get to add to it. It seems pretty simple, but Alright. So for uh, Reed and I, thank you for listening and we will catch you next time. Bye.